Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and other sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, alongside Enrique Cisneros, and let's get into this. So we got, as usual, a ton to talk about this week. Uh, we'll start off with some news, and then we're going to go through the whole first round real quick, uh, compare what we thought it was going to be to what it actually was, um, and then go through as well the uh, Denver Broncos and the Jets full draft, look at their picks, uh, some of our opinions on all that, um, and then we're also going to take a look at the playoffs again, update that first round, again, take a look at uh, what we thought it was going to be. And then uh, to finish off, we'll go ahead and do another bonus episode and take a look at UFC 274. So uh, to start us off here, let's go ahead and uh, do some news. And uh, the Cardinals picking up Kyler Murray's fifth-year option. Yeah, uh, I mean, we kind of knew they were going to do that, right? Despite the attitude problems from Kyler or the supposed, uh, you know, trade rumors. We, you know, Kyler, you took with the first overall pick. You know, he's your franchise guy. Um, yeah, just no-brainer for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, even with uh, – because you have those rumors that uh, he may not necessarily play unless he gets an extension, um, which you don't know how much of that is smoke. But at the very least, this is the first step towards that, uh, picking up the fifth-year option. That gives them more time to negotiate with Kyler. Um, and, you know, if it gets to that point, it gets to that point. But – uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see going or heading towards training camp and everything, how that plays out. And if you like, uh, I mean, it's a bad look if you're starting quarterback holds out of training camp. So if I'm the Cardinals, you would think if that's what he wants, just get it done ASAP. Can I just say this and then we'll move on from Kyler. Um, it's really like, I really find puzzling to me how so many players like, because when people started talking shit about the Texans, like, all-time Texans greats came out. Like, Andre Johnson came out and was like, yeah, Texans low-key suck ass. Uh, like, being <laughs> run, like, as an organization. Um, J.J. Watt, to me, I feel like has a pretty, you know, like, when J.J. Watt left Houston, I was like, yo, like, that's their guy. Like, that is Mr. Houston Texan. Yeah. And he left, and he went to Arizona. And if I'm not mistaken, I was pretty sure JJ said like he loved how the organization was and how they treated him. And, you know, the owner flew him out in a private jet, like did the whole thing for JJ Watt. And JJ's been on the decline a little bit, you know? Yeah. So I just like, I just kind of, I kind of feel like this is Kyler Murray. Like I just really do. I, I just, I kind of think this is Kyler Murray. I don't really think that this is an Arizona Cardinal thing. Um, and maybe that's why the Cardinals haven't come out and said anything because what are we going to say? We haven't did anything, but anyways, yeah. Yeah, no. And I honestly totally agree with that. Like from everything that we've seen, at least outwardly, um, this Cardinals regime seems like the single most stable that they've had, uh, for a really long, long time. And, uh, Steve Kime isn't perfect. He missed on some picks. He missed on, um, freaking uh out of ucla the quarterback that they ended up trading away josh rosen um yeah and i mean he's missed on you know plenty of stuff but for the cardinal standards i i think it's been uh solid for them and i haven't heard a lot of players complaining about it and i agree with your point that like you know if jj watt's gonna leave the texans 
he's very aware of what a bad organization looks like. And so if he has his pick of going anywhere and he talked about how much he deliberated over it and um, he could have gone to the Steelers, which we know is a stable organization. Um, and had his so, two brothers there. Exactly. So for him to choose the Cardinals over that, uh, it's got to be pretty dang convincing. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. We'll have to kind of just wait it out and see what details come out on that situation. But uh, it definitely seems like it's just uh, Kyler. He seems like he wants his money. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I think you pay him just because of the talent, but he's certainly showing some uh, red flags from a franchise supposed guy, you know, that you necessarily wouldn't want your star quarterback to be acting the way he has been recently. So, but, you know, um, and then we can move on here uh, to another franchise quarterback or potential franchise quarterback. Um, Giants declining Daniel Jones's fifth year option, but they do pick up Dexter Lawrence's on the defensive line. Uh, no question for Dexter Lawrence. He's been solid for them. Um, but Daniel Jones, you know, he has just not been able to establish himself, uh, consistently. He's had plenty of flashes. He is athletic, uh, but he just has not been able, he's had too many fumbles. He's had too many mental errors, um, to, you know, to his, uh, credit. There's been a lot of turnover um, in his tenure there, and so they're kind of hoping and just giving him one more chance here uh, with Brian Dable. Uh, but you have to wonder if they don't even pick up the fifth-year option, then is Dable just out on him altogether, you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, if I'm being honest with you, I think everybody in the Giants organization is out on Daniel Jones. I, yeah. I think – just as obvious as it is to pick up Kyler Murray's fifth-year option, it's just as obvious to me that, yeah, it's time to move on from Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones' experiment, uh, just like with Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago. Yeah. You tried it, it. You thought, hey, if Mitchell Trubisky and Daniel Jones would have hit, being uh, as high picked as they were, those GMs and those head coaches would still be in still be in Chicago and New York. Right. You know, like, they wouldn't have uh, Dable and whoever's in Chicago right now. So it's uh, it's funny to me that we're even talking about it, honestly, because exactly what you just said, um, he, he's just been so wildly inconsistent and so turnover prone. And, you know, it, yeah, his time, I think, in the Giants organization is done. I think, you know, he, he has his tryout year, obviously, but I think it's well, more so for to put a uh, film on for other teams. I, I think the Giants are done because the Giants know him internally as well, and I'm sure he's a great guy. But ultimately, like you got to do what you have to do, and if you're not winning football games, or you're not contributing in a positive way to football games, then it's a business at the end of the day. Peyton Manning got traded. Russell Wilson got traded. You know, like it's a business at the end of the day. Daniel Jones is just going to be a backup somewhere. This is what I'm thinking. Unfortunately, sorry, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think if he can clean up some of the uh, turnover proneness and the fumbles, he actually does have potential to be a really solid backup quarterback in the league. Uh, they could stick around, but uh, you know, if he, he can't get that part together, then uh, yeah, I, I just don't see him sticking around at all. Um, but the, it does. And maybe it's something we can, uh, you know, dive deeper into um, later into this off season when we start looking at the teams and uh, the rosters and everything. But my question then 
with the Giants is uh, what are you looking at for the quarterback situation? Are they now in the market for a Baker Mayfield or a Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, or do you just roll with Daniel Jones and only Daniel Jones this year? I mean, clearly they didn't uh, draft anybody now that we're through that, that they um, were looking to kind of work in and start having them learn or anything. So are they waiting for a high draft pick next year? Um, Cause I don't necessarily know that Daniel Jones is, bad enough that you're going to get I mean I guess they got number five but with added talent and everything and a a new better head coach are you betting on uh picking high enough next year to get a uh, top tier quarterback or you know it's it's certainly a question of where they're uh trying to head with that quarterback position now yeah I mean they have Tyrod as a backup and so I think what's going to happen is Whoever wins it in training camp will be the starter initially. And then they'll, unless it's Tyrod, I think Tyrod, honestly, if he wins the job starting out, he might play like just decently enough to not get benched, but he might have like a three interception game and then get benched for Daniel. Then Daniel plays three games and then gets benched. And then, Tyrod yeah. plays and then you know, it might be like a, a carousel there for a second, but I do think they'll probably finish upwards like, up of 10 you know i don't think they'll finish lower than 10 um as far as draft position wise so yeah i mean if you're in the top 10 in general uh you only need a few picks especially with the way um you know the draft capital and contracts work now um people are able to fly up the board a lot easier than it was back in the day like to give up uh draft picks before like you had to really like, especially to move up in the top 10, you had to give people like three firsts and two seconds and send them your star player. Like it was pretty yeah. ridiculous back in the day, but now, I mean, the jets got back into the first round. Shout out to the jets, by the way. Um, we got back into the first round for our second, second round pick. Cause we had two and a fifth, I, I believe like something, something super, super chintzy to get back into the first round, you know, with Tennessee. So yeah, ultimately um, if the giants pick in that top 10 and they, they, they got a guy, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe we trade up and uh, we go, we go get our guy, you know, and depending on who that is as well, you know, cause I would imagine um, Bryce young is going to be looked at as the, the first overall pick, you know, but the quarterback uh, class next year is going to be real nice. So, yeah, we'll see yeah. what the Giants are going after, but that's a dude. I'm I'm telling you, Baker to New York. That sounds crazy, but it doesn't sound wild. Like it right, sound wild. Baker has not been moved. What is happening with Baker? No one knows. Cleveland doesn't give a fuck though, because we all. I, I think we both have a sneaking suspicion on Deshaun Watson's suspension might be coming, and if that's the case, like they're probably just gonna trot out baker mayfield as their backup but that's that's super fucked up like that's 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 pretty that's pretty shitty organization wise like i i just don't know how you do that to baker and then yeah have, uh, other players be like oh yeah they wouldn't do that to me though right you know I mean? yeah like, exactly uh, just a culture thing and like what your players are going to feel about the organization and how they treat their players. Like that's just terrible from an optic standpoint. And I think honestly, the way you've treated Baker already is terrible from an optic standpoint. But I mean, I guess at this point, 
you know, you have your quarterback, you don't have, you're not like under pressure necessarily to get rid of Baker immediately, other than when you're talking about like the cap hit. Um, but he's like, it's not like he got an extension yet. So uh, it's, you know, I, I would not be surprised to see them go into the season with him still as the backup purely just because they don't have to trade him. So if they don't get a trade package that they like for him, I mean, you know, there's really no uh, huge looming reason for them to have to move off Baker immediately other than like you mentioned, just the optics of it. Um, But if you've already fucked the optics, optics of it, you know, does it matter anymore? Like, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question for sure, but I do think that uh, the Giants could definitely be a solid fit for him with uh, Dable coming in and that, uh, implementing that Buffalo offense. And um, yeah, I mean, it's the, the Giants are certainly an interesting team um, and they're starting to, this is a crux point for them where they could get back into relevance or get into another cycle of irrelevance for the next half decade, depending on uh how this all plays out here. So. All right. And then our next story here, uh, the Raiders declining the fifth year options for all three of their first round picks, Jonathan Abram, Josh Jacobs and Cleveland Farrell. And I, the only one I'm really surprised about here is Josh Jacobs. I I think there's uh, um, a lot of people saying nowadays when it comes to running backs that the best way to do it, really is you can pick them. And especially if you get them in the first round, you have that option for that fifth year option and you get them for a relatively cheap price. But after that, you have to pay a running back. Um, And a lot of people don't want to do that nowadays. So from the Raiders perspective, I guess, unless um, maybe Josh McDaniels doesn't feel like Josh Jacobs is a fit for what he's trying to do there. I don't understand why you would decline his fifth year option and not take another year of, uh, relatively cheap, uh, good production out of Josh Jacobs. Oh yeah. And that, that, that was the first one that came to my mind as well. When I saw that they declined all three, the other two I get for sure. Um, but yeah, with Jacobs, he's, I mean, dude, they sell Josh Jacobs jerseys, you know what I mean? And that's usually done more so for players that like, you know, the casuals think are good, you know? Right. Um, and Josh Jacobs is a good running back. So, yeah, I think this just comes down to McDaniels. Um, and, I, uh, and what I hope is that this is McDaniels working on f- getting guys that fit his scheme and not McDaniels kind of repeating some of the mistakes he made with the Broncos in regards to, um, you know, just like trying to get his own guys in in a way you know what I mean just like yeah just cleaning house and trying to get his own guys in in a way but um yeah I think I think regardless um Josh Jacobs was worth that fifth year option even if you're just gonna have him be your backup like and bring your own guy in but yeah obviously Josh McDaniels is Josh McDaniels yeah well and I guess from my perspective I kind of do hope that it is that yeah as, as a Broncos fan he's just going to tear down the Raiders organization. Um, That would be pretty neat, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, That's my real only assumption is it's got to be like a scheme fit thing that he wants to do something different um, or, you know, something we're not understanding with that because yeah, Jacobs has been a solid uh, productive running back um, and they're not 
particularly, I mean, I guess maybe you could say a cap space move, but he's not, at least for the, I mean, the cheaper option is to just take the fifth year option for him and keep that production. I don't know. It's, it's interesting though, but yeah, not a whole lot of surprise with Jonathan Abram and Cleveland Farrell, both of those guys not really able to establish themselves. Um, and yeah, will likely be free agents. And then uh, the Jets picking up Quinn and Williams fifth year option uh, pretty obvious move here. He's been, uh, you know, solid on your guys' defensive line, uh, a star for you guys and a building block uh, for years to come. Oh, yeah. You know, super obvious. Um, he's been everything uh, that we've needed since we picked him, you know, and he's, yeah, building block. We got his brother on the team now. Um, so, yeah, Quinn Williams, hopefully he's going to be uh, in a Jets uniform for many years to come. But, yeah, fifth-year option, no-brainer for sure. Yep, yep. And then the Seahawks uh, pick up former Bronco Noah Fant's fifth-year option. Um, yeah, Something that really, honestly, the Broncos, there was some talk about not doing that for Fant. Um, and if you really watch the football, you understand with the Broncos, he has not had the quarterback for the production um, and he's also been uh, not utilized the way that he really should have been uh, with the the offensive coordinators that we've had while he's been here. Um, and so he just has not resulted in the level of production that you would want from a first round talent. Um, so there was some talk about that, uh, but I think that we probably would have picked it up as well. Um, and so obviously the Seahawks trading for him in the Russell Wilson trade, go ahead and pick that up. And uh, he's probably going to be an integral part there uh regardless of if they keep drew lock or move on to another quarterback uh he should be a weapon for them uh for years to come as well so and then our uh or well if you have any thoughts on that Enrique the only thought I didn't know you could do that I didn't know that it just rolls over to the new team like that That was the only thing and like me that's dumb but I really didn't know that like once the team was traded or like since Noah Fan got traded, still on his rookie deal, obviously. That yeah. then maybe maybe I just haven't seen a team do that. But yeah, that was that was the only thing that I was like, I didn't know the Seahawks could do that. Go uh, no, off Seahawks, but yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it's there's some things like that where when you get traded, the contracts can kind of shift and change. So I I get that. And uh, it kind of reminds me of like in the NBA with the Supermax, where like in order to get a super max, you have to be with the same team for this many of uh, years. But if you get traded, then it like voids that and you can't get the super max from uh, that amount of years because you were on two different teams. So yeah. But, uh, and then uh, our last story here, uh, the Jaguars signing uh, offensive tackle Cam Robinson to a three year, $54 million extension. Uh, Well-deserved there going to protect, uh, uh, their quarterback who all of a sudden Trevor Lawrence, Jesus. Uh, yeah, they're going to protect. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know why I just forgot hit the number one overall pick from last year's draft name, but yeah, they're going to uh, protect Trevor Lawrence. Um, they definitely need to get the rest of that line short up, but at least you have a solid building block there. Uh, and he's, he's proven himself and that's a pretty solid price, honestly, three years, 54. Oh yeah, super solid. Um, yeah, can't complain about that whatsoever. And yeah, whatever you need to do to protect Trevor Lawrence, that's yeah. You gotta pay the man. You gotta pay the man. Gotta keep that guy. Uh, gotta keep sixteen upright because 
first overall draft pick last year, and he's the face of your franchise. So, yep, Cam Robinson, another no-brainer. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad he got his money, dude, because I yeah. thought Cam was going to have to play on Because he got franchise tagged by him, right? Yeah, well, and I was going to say, like, as much as we both agree that it is such a no-brainer move, the Jaguars being the Jaguars, there was some worry there that the deal wasn't going to get done because uh, they've done that to multiple of their star players in the past have just not paid them and let them walk. You think about uh, Jalen Ramsey to the Rams and a lot of those defensive players on that, uh, that 2017 that or 2017 team that uh, made it to the conference championship. Um, yeah. That's just been a thing in their past, but you know, good for them to break the mold a little bit and uh, get a, a guy they needed to sign signed. Yeah, exactly. All right. And then we can go ahead and move on to, uh, we're going to go through the entire first round again, um, but this time with the actual picks, and uh, we're going to compare and uh, what we thought it was going to be, uh, and we were just just a tiny bit off, just a little bit, <laughs> just, just a, a little. little bit. So we'll start with number one here: Jacksonville Jaguars selecting Trayvon Walker, defensive end out of Georgia. We thought it was going to be Aiden Hutchinson, and everybody thought it was going to be Aiden Hutchinson up until really the last few days before the draft as uh, Trayvon Walker kept rising up draft boards. Um, There was talk of him starting to go like top 10, top five, and then all of a sudden there was talk of top or the number one pick overall with Jacksonville, and that ended up being a reality. So, um yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week. I think he's a little bit more of a projection than Aiden Hutchinson is. He's not as proven. Um, but I also think that there was – he's super athletic. He's got all the tools. Um, and there was some limitations for him scheme-wise with Georgia because of the amount of talent that they had on that defense. They kind of masked what he could be in the sense that he was just playing a role. He was doing what he was being asked to do, but he could have potential to do way more in a scheme that allows him to do so. Right. Yeah. And this was um, my dad is the one that actually, you know, started tipping me off to this pick uh, saying that the Jaguar, the Jaguars were going to take Trayvon Walker. I didn't personally believe it was going to happen. I thought it was going to be Aiden as well, just because I believe Aiden is the best overall player in this year's draft. Um, but when you start looking at, you know, exactly what you just said, the way that he was a bit overshadowed on that Georgia defense, especially on the, uh, that defensive line with Jordan Davis, um, you know, and just all the talent surrounding him on that defense, it was hard to really see, you know, his full display of potential. Um, it just, it worries me sometimes when teams are taking guys super high based on potential, but yeah. uh, ultimately, that's what the draft is regardless. Um, but I just – yeah, I, I, I still probably would have went with Hutch, but the Jaguars, they believe in their due, uh, due diligence, and they took Trayvon, so can't, can't hate on it. Yeah, yeah, and we'll have to see how that pick turns out, but I'm excited to see uh, his career and what he can turn into. And the Jaguars really building a nice little core there. Um, and with Doug Peterson, a Super Bowl winning head coach, you'll have to see, you know, if they can start going up from here and break out of the, the Jaguaring. Um, right. So, uh, and then number two overall was the Detroit Lions 
and they selected Aiden Hutchinson, edge out of uh, Michigan. Uh, we thought it was going to be Malik Willis, the quarterback. Um, and I believe it was you that mentioned this last week that if Aiden Hutchinson did fall out of number one, this is kind of just as the Detroit Lions, you kind of just have to take Aiden Hutchinson just because of the Michigan connection um, and how good of a player he is. Uh, like you said, you know, potentially the best overall player in the draft altogether. Um, it's just too good of a fit to pass up for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a personality standpoint, from a football standpoint, you know, college standpoint. Um, yeah, I just, I just felt like the Detroit Lions were linked to Aiden Hutchinson. Um, I'm glad he got to Detroit. I'm glad the Jaguars passed on him because sometimes I just like the story of the draft. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, you know, I heard Aiden Hutchinson talk um, the night of the draft about uh, a lot of different things, you know, as far as like, you know, how strong his mental willpower is and how he like willed this stuff into existence and just, you know, he's a big manifestation guy. And I, I fuck with all that super heavy, super positive mindset. Love, love, love everything Aiden was spitting um, at the draft and truly, truly, truly excited to see uh, him put some work in in Detroit. And I know I, I go on a run, especially, you know, when I'm talking to you where I'm like, I, I have to go get that guy's Jersey, but Another one that I have to go add to the list is Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I just love that dude already. And I, I wish him nothing but the best in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah. One of those stories, one of those fits that you got to love um, just perfect shit, a fit there with the Detroit lions. And I, I, I too, I, I remember him talking about um, he had his jacket at the draft that had different manifestations that he had written Um printed on it and it was super neat i i just absolutely loved that i totally love like you see we're saying all the positive uh vibes and the positive mentality and um yeah gotta love that pick for sure and then at number three uh, the houston texans selecting Derek stingley jr cornerback out of lsu uh we thought it was going to be evan neal the offensive tackle um but yeah Derek stingley i mean can't go wrong there I think in our mock, we had Stingley uh, sitting on the board longer than, uh, well, a whole lot longer than three, but longer than a lot of people even thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, there you can argue uh, between him, Gardner, uh, that, like Stingley is the most solid cornerback prospect. Uh, he did have those injury risks um, that he went through in LSU. And so that's kind of the big question on him. Um, but, you know, can't dislike that pick for the Texans. And then I uh, was Stingley, something that I wanted to mention my favorite player of all time, Champ Bailey, uh, Denver Bronco and Washington Redskin. Uh, he Stingley mentioned that uh, Champ Bailey was his uh, biggest, you know, uh, kind of icon growing up and, and what he strived to be. Um, so it's hard for me to dislike that guy. Right. Absolutely. So this to me was the first big, um, this was the first shakeup of the draft for me. I didn't. I didn't think Houston was going to go um, a corner. Yeah, number three, and and part of the reason is because and we talked about it um, on last week's show where some of the positions get a little devalued, and I thought for sure, you know, with the holes that they had on their roster, and obviously corners won too, and especially with uh, Derek Stanley Jr. Like, it's not a bad pick. I'm not saying this is a bad pick. And you do need corners to shut down 
wide receivers and, you know, to help frustrate quarterbacks as well. Um, I just thought it was going to be an offensive lineman. I just really yeah. thought it was going to be offensive lineman here. Um, so this was this to me was the first big shakeup of the draft where I was like, Stingley, what? Houston doesn't care at all. Like, but I'm glad that's a blue chip prospect. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's definitely the second best corner in this year's draft for sure. He's definitely the second best corner. There, there's another team that got the best corner, but. I was going to say, do you want to go ahead and lead off our number four pick? Yeah, the number four pick, the New York Jets uh, select Sauce Gardner, cornerback out of Cincinnati. We had them taking Kayvon Thebidu, um out of Oregon. Uh, and, yeah, like I just said, with, you know, not to, not to you know, um, spoil the Texans parade or anything, but, yeah, the, the Jets taking Sauce at four um, – I didn't think it was an actual possibility that we were going to take sauce uh, at four, just because, you know, like I said, same thing with the uh, Texans, except for the jets are a little bit more foundationally built in the trenches. We have Makai Becton. We have, uh, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker that we took last year. We have some free agent signings that we've uh, picked up last year and this year to kind of solidify that offensive line a little bit. And, you know, on the defensive line, you know, we got Quinn Williams, we got, you know, John Franklin Myers, we got uh, Carl Lawson, we got guys that, you know, foundationally, like our trenches are kind of built up a little bit. And so I thought we could use a corner because, you know, Bryce Hall's an amazing dude, but um, I, I definitely think he plays a better role as the secondary corner. And so I thought either Stingley Jr. Or uh, Sauce Gardner would be perfect, and I would love him. But I thought it was going to be either offensive or defensive line here at four. Uh, the Jets just, you know, knew that they uh, they can make the hopes and dreams of myself come true by taking Sauce, and uh, they did. They took Sauce at four, and I love it. I love the pick. I no touchdowns allowed in his college career. Um, you know, came from the Cincinnati Bearcats which although sounds like a made up animal is in fact a real animal um, <laughs> you know like he just he came from an organization that was kind of bad and then went on that nice little playoff run um, and then got absolutely destroyed but um, yeah I'm so excited that sauce is a New York jet I cannot and then the, he came out so dripped out like with the chain like I just can't even I just I love it. I love the man already. And he's so well-spoken and soft-spoken. Like, even though he came out with all that, that bedazzle, like he is such a soft-spoken, hard-working dude. I just love it. I love the pick so much. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I totally agree. Um, I think I love, you know, you can have that conversation all day long about Derek Singley versus Sauce Gardner. But for me, I think not only with Sauce Gardner, do you get the cornerback, but then you get the person. Um, and like you're talking about soft-spoken, well-spoken, he's going to be a leader on that team. He's going to be one of those building blocks like we were talking about, um, a franchise player for you guys. And uh, not that Stingley isn't that, but I just think that Gardner kind of radiates that. You know what I mean? Um, and on top of that, like you were mentioned with the, I, I love his little sauce chain that I, I loved in the first place, but I didn't realize until I believe you sent it to me, uh, the video of it where it's a, uh, it looks like a little sauce bottle and it's his chain, but it actually is a bottle that he can unscrew and he's got different sauces in it every day, apparently. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. that fool, that fool got his nickname because he likes to 
dip stuff in sauce. Bro, but I mean, can't be he mad didn't at even, he, didn't, he didn't even get it on, like, some cool, like, new slang, like, type of thing. Like, he got it because he likes to dip his chicken tenders and stuff. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's top ten, bro. Like, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I can't get over that. That's I'm I'm really excited for uh, Sauce Gardner on the New York Jets for sure. Um, and then with number five, the other New York team, uh, well, one of the other New York teams, I guess, uh, the New York Giants selecting Kayvon Thibodeau Edge out of Oregon. Uh, we thought it was going to be uh, Ikem Ekwanu out of uh, the offensive tackle. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, can't be mad at this pick for the Giants. I think they definitely needed Edge help. Um, there were still some edges on the board at this point. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings on Thibodeau. I almost feel like I like, um, Jermaine Johnson, who you guys ended up getting a lot later better than Thibodeau, but I do think that he has, uh, he's a very natural athlete. Um, and he had a lot of production at Oregon. Um, I think that he's got some questions, in terms of like personality wise and uh, like he just gives off vibes of me to like not being uh, one of the football IQ guys, you know what I mean? Where like he's a tape grinder and that kind of thing. He, to me, he's more of like a uh, survives on talent kind of guy, you know? Um, So I'm interested to see his career in the NFL, but that could also just me being uh, or be me being like judgy on this guy so and i not that i know his uh film habits either so we'll have to see what he does with the giants but um yeah i mean a solid pick for them there uh i i do like his personality from a like uh well personality end of it you know like he's just fun uh and he's a fun like tv personality too i'm sure they're going to do all kinds of media with him in new york i'm sure he's going to be a huge star like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but yeah, solid pick for the Giants. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a great pick. You know, a lot of people have this guy going one or two overall. Um, so, you know, and that's what happens, right? It, once the first once the Jaguars took uh, Walker, that was it. You know, it, everything was going to get fucked up. Yeah. But yeah, I like I like KT. I, I agree with you. I think personality wise, I think he's got like a a fun little, you know, personality. Um, yeah. And I, I don't disagree with you in regards to, um, you know, maybe what it would appear because I, I think he, I think he has a lot of talent and I think um, even at Oregon, he was able to be dominant at certain times. I think the thing that worries me about KT is sometimes I think he takes plays off, um, you right. know, because when the, when the jets were, you know, kind of linked to him, everybody that the jets were linked to, I, I put a little bit of tape on, um, and watched them myself. And yeah, um, I just kind of felt like sometimes he took a, it, it took a few plays off, but not enough to where I think, um, it hindered his draft stock or anything like that. I think he fell to the giants purely because of the way the board went. Yeah. But, um, still, still a solid pick by the giants. Not mad about it. Um, and yeah, I think he's going to do great in New York. I just hope he doesn't do too good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, so at number six, uh, Carolina pick, uh, Panthers pick, uh, who we thought the giants were going to take in Ikem Ekwanu offensive tackle out of NC state. 
Um, and then at number six, we actually thought it was going to be uh, Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, uh, because the Panthers do really need a quarterback. Um, but it's coming more and more out. And after they uh, didn't take one super high in this draft, there's clear it's pretty clear that they still have a uh, belief in Sam Darnold, um, which, you know, was up for debate between everybody before this. Uh, it seemed like the Panthers were doing as much uh, due diligence on the quarterbacks in this draft um, as they possibly could. So maybe they just did not feel like any of those guys were going to be their franchise guy um, as did most of these teams uh, as we later saw as the draft kind of rolled out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you're not going to go quarterback really hard to beat uh, Ike and out of uh, NC state, he's going to be a franchise tackle for you guys and um, shore up that line and give Sam Darnold some more time to think that, I mean, honestly with Dan Darnold, one of the reasons why he's had such a hard time is because uh, everywhere he's went, he has not had the best offensive line um, at that particular time. So, you know, uh, giving him some time behind the line and, uh, uh, maybe that can help him get back to what people thought that he could be. Yeah, no doubt about it. And yeah, obviously, uh, did Carolina end up getting a quarterback later on the draft? Did they take one in like? I believe like later, like third or fourth. I'd have to look and see exactly which one it was actually. But I appreciate it. I thought they took. I thought they took Corral. Yep, you're right. Third round on Matt Corral, which I, is one of the higher. Uh, uh, upside guys in my opinion in this draft as far as quarterbacks like I'd probably put him third under Malik and Kenny yeah I like I like Matt Corral honestly more than I like Kenny if I'm being honest with you um but I think that's probably because I had to watch Matt Corral play a few more times uh this last year yeah um, but uh yeah Panthers take Icky um, I thought that was a great move Start up that offensive line if you think you got something Sam might as well see if you do or not and don't give him any excuses, you know. This is a proving year for a lot of guys. Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, you know, this, like if you guys don't work out this year, like you guys are backups for sure. So I think yeah. uh, I think the Panthers are all in on trying to at least give Sam Darnold a chance, which better than the Jets did to him. Sorry, Sam. Yeah, and I mean with Sam, that's the thing for me is like he's been so specifically turnover prone. Does he even get a chance as a backup? Like, unless a team yeah. still thinks that he can start, because when you're looking at backups, you're looking for somebody who can, uh, you know, not give the ball away. I mean, that's what you really want, unless somebody thinks they can bring them him in for, like, knowledge. But what really? Knowledge <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, no, I mean, I think. I think just based on talent, he gets a backup spot. You'd have to think so, but after so much, yeah. Based on talent, the Panthers didn't even take the quarterback in the first round. So, I, yeah, I think you just, if Sam Donald's your backup, you better hope, like, that your starter never gets fucking hurt. You better hope you got (laughs) Brett Favre out there. Like, right. Like, and that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I hope for the best for him. It's just, yeah, after what we're at four straight years of like pretty much declining, I think he got better from his first to second year, but then it's been declining since then. But, yeah, I think he's just kind of leveled out. I think he just is what he is now. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I, I hope he can get better. But yeah, I mean, Matt Corral could very well be starting by week five or six and we'll have to see how that goes. I don't think he's ready to start. Um, but I no. also don't think that the Panthers necessarily, I mean, once you lose three, four games, the chance are going to start coming. So it's uh, on the Panthers of how long are you going to wait? Uh, I, I would almost honestly like to see the Panthers bring in a, uh, like an old veteran. I don't know off the top of my head who they're uh, like, who else is on the roster as a quarterback. Um, it's, I'm assuming it's probably not a veteran. It's probably just a young guy, but um, I, I would like to see them bring in somebody for Matt Corral. Um, I think it's from. Cam. Is that Cam? Is, Cam, is Cam still on the roster or is he a free agent now? I'm not sure, but you might be right. He might but be yeah. a free agent. I don't know. Either, Either way, way. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how that situation plays out. Um, but yeah, Matt Corral could be the heir apparent in uh, Carolina if uh, Sam doesn't step it up a little bit. Um, and then so for the next pick, the New York Giants selected again, and they selected Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Alabama. Uh, great pick. Um, we thought that this was going to be Trevon Walker uh, at number seven instead of number one, but uh, they ended up taking Kayvon, getting that edge taken care of. And then uh, they move on to the offensive tackle and protect Daniel Jones and then uh, give Saquon uh, more to run behind, which to me is almost the more exciting part of this because people talk about Saquon's production or lack thereof. Um, and then to me, you they don't, pay enough attention to the fact that uh, they really have not had a great offensive line for a few of the years that he's been there. Um, and so he's had to try and make something out of nothing more often than not, uh, kind of similar to um, in Carolina with uh, McCaffrey and it's resulted in injuries for him too. So, you know, the more you can do to number one, keep Saquon healthy, but make his life harder and then make or harder, make his life easier, and then make uh, Daniel Jones's life easier as well. Um, yeah, great pick. Yeah, I agree. This is my favorite tackle in the draft. Um, so yeah, the, you got him at seven. You're able to shore up the defensive line, shore up the offensive line, especially with blue chip talents at both positions. Giants, Giants did their thing um, in the first round for sure. But it's easy to do that when you have two top ten picks like right so yeah at least they didn't waste them though right exactly yeah they could have fucked it up i guess yeah hard to in this draft i guess but yeah still um and then so at number eight this one i was kind of disappointed about uh and uh, the atlanta falcons selecting drake london wide receiver out of usc we thought this was going to be garrett wilson um and then yeah i mean drake london uh i love this guy honestly probably my favorite wide receiver in the entire draft, uh, big athletic target. Um, and you know, he's, he has some things that he needs to work on, uh, in terms of route running and everything, um, and just kind of cap off and then start to, um, I, you know, once he gets into the NFL, he's going to uh, learn a lot more of that. Um, but, uh, like you can't be mad at the tools there. I think that's perfect for, uh, Mariota, and just give him a big target to throw to, uh, you know, you got Kyle Pitts there too, starting to replenish that wide receiver uh, room after you know, the whole gambling scandal and all that good stuff, losing Julio, um, you know, give yourself a big target there to work with. And um, yeah, solid pick. I wish 
he would have gone to a different team. But I think for the Falcons, uh, it's a good fit. Yeah, I, I thought it was a solid pick. Um, Drake London was one of um, one of my more favorite wide receivers in this year's uh, class too, just because he's big bodied. I love USC in general, um, so I'm I'm kind of a, a little biased when it comes to USC players, especially when they're really good like Drake London is. But yeah, just like you said, it'll give Mariota a nice uh, nice target to throw to. Give someone opposite of Kyle Pitts until Calvin Ridley comes back. Um, and then I think Desmond Ritter uh, got drafted um, in the third or fourth round to the Falcons as well. So, you know, if, if uh, Mariota is not your, you know, which he's not. He's, he's your stepping stone guy. He's your middleman. Um, you know, and you got Desmond Ritter who can develop into your franchise quarterback. But, again, probably not. Uh, you know, then you have, regardless of who your quarterback is going to be, they got Drake London to throw to for the next 10 years. And that's all you need to worry about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, to your point with Ritter as well, uh, what I do really like about that pick was uh, Ritter is a a solid comp for Marcus Mariota. Um, And so I do think that there's uh, some knowledge that can be passed down there um, and a good situation for him to come into. And he doesn't necessarily have to uh, start immediately. Um, and who knows, Mar- uh, Mariota could have a good year this year uh, after sitting with the Raiders for a couple of years. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Uh, I don't think that the um, Falcons are going to be like uh, competitive or probably even a, a playoff team just because of the uh, lack of overall talent on the roster and just the, too many holes right now. But I do think that you can start building something there. And then uh, if Mariota isn't there even for another year, I think it's possible he could at least earn himself another job somewhere else. So, uh, but then with number nine, uh, which was originally the Denver Broncos pick traded to the Seattle Seahawks uh, in part of the Russell Wilson trade, they select Charles Cross offensive tackle out of Mississippi state. We thought this was going to be sauce Gardner, um, but obviously he goes off the board to the jets, Charles Cross, the best remaining offensive tackle, uh, super duper athletic, He's got some stuff to clean up in terms of technique, but just a very uh, impressive raw athlete. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't even say raw, actually. That's underselling him. But he, he does have some things to uh, improve. Um, but, yeah, I mean, can't be mad at that for Seattle. I, I think this was uh, something I mentioned to you on draft night was I thought it was kind of funny that, like, historically you look back while uh, Russell Wilson was there and they didn't invest all that much into the offensive line when Russell Wilson was there, Um, like relatively at least, or as much as they probably should have. And then as you look at the full Seattle draft, which we'll probably uh, go over at another time, but they made a lot of picks like that, that they didn't for Russell Wilson that I thought was kind of, I just found it kind of funny. Like you wait all these years and Russ is like, it it was, um, there's been storylines about it where it's like, Oh, you're not getting Russ this. You're not getting Russ that because you have these holes on the Seahawks roster. Um, and, um, Russell Wilson's always running around in circles trying to not get sacked because he doesn't have good enough offensive linemen. Um, he's just making, uh, you know, doing what he can out of it. And then he leaves and they turn around and pick Charles cross. 
generation, not generational, but like franchise for sure. Offensive tackle out of Mississippi, Mississippi state. I'm like, okay, guys. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's part of it, you know, with Russ being a more mobile guy, maybe they're just like, you know, like they can invest that elsewhere. They're like, Oh, it's taken care of. Yeah. Like throw some dudes in there. Russ can run around a little bit. Yeah. 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 You need that corner. You need that corner. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I mean, obviously you can't be mad at that pick for the Seahawks under uh, any circumstance, but uh, yeah, I just thought that that connection was kind of funny is like that. That is exactly the type of player that Russell Wilson would have loved to have all those years Absolutely. that he was running around, not trying to get hit. It's like, but, uh, and then we can move on to number 10 there. Uh, New York Jets selecting again and Garrett Wilson wide receiver out of Ohio state. We thought this was going to be Drake London. Uh, obviously really love Drake London fit, but Garrett Wilson, uh, a more polished wide receiver. Um, and yeah, he's going to get it done for the New York Jets. Great pick. Yeah. I thought it was a great pick. Um, much more polished wide receiver in terms of route running. Um, I think Garrett Wilson has like the super soft hands, you know, that you need um, when yeah. you're catching deep balls. And I, the biggest difference between Drake London and Garrett Wilson is going to be their frame, right? And that's what we yeah. talked about with Drake London. He's just a big-bodied wide receiver in that Mike Evans category. Um, Garrett Wilson is going to be more of that burner. He's going to be more of that traditional, uh, in my opinion, traditional wide receiver, you know, that can run all the routes that he needs. Um, you know, he's and, – and we talked uh, about it a little bit before we went on air um, – I think Garrett Wilson is going to come and be just the most pro-ready pro wide receiver out of this class, yeah. uh, kind of like Jared Judy was when uh, the Broncos drafted him out of Alabama. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, and Jared Judy didn't necessarily get tons of love and get tons of numbers his rookie season, but when you go back and you watch the tape of him, he was rounding dudes up. Uh, the yeah. place he he did make he, he it were based off of you know his pause route running and you know the fact that he's able to make space and uh in times when there might not be some and um yeah i just think gary wilson's gonna be able to do all of that um and even more so that wilson and wilson connection is going to be just un- undeniable it's going to be so great i'm so excited yeah 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 no and uh to your point there with uh comparison with jerry judy and you guys have the quarterback to uh, take advantage of that talent. And uh, that's a really the big difference. Like you were talking about between Garrett Wilson and Drake London is that frame. Um, So for a, you know, most quarterbacks, a bigger frame is going to be easier to hit like just on a basic level. So the bigger you are, it's going to be easier for that guy to catch it. And and you you don't necessarily have to be as perfect with the placement. Um, But Zach Wilson is his specialty i mean correct me if i'm wrong but his specialty pretty much is deep balls um and so i think it's a good fit on that note i think he's got the skills to be able to place balls where garrett wilson can get them and garrett wilson has the route running speed agility all that good stuff to get enough separation um that you know you don't necessarily have to have a big body target plus something that uh I'm still waiting to see Denzel Mims, which is still on your guys' roster, was a guy that I really liked out of college, and he just has not been what I was hoping. 
Um, but he's going into his third year here and he looks very determined um, and looks like he, he's hoping to make a jump. So if Denzel Mims can kind of take care of a little bit more of that side of that role, as far as being a bigger target, uh, then you have Garrett Wilson being uh, more of your just standard, uh, you know, full X receiver that can do any route that he needs to, like you were saying, and um, just that overall talent you guys are. And then you have uh, on top of that, your tight ends and you have um, uh, who's that smaller guy whose name keeps escaping me. Or Jackson oh, uh, Berrios, Daxon Berrios. Yeah. We got Braxton Berrios. We got Elijah Braxton Moore. Berrios. We got Corey Davis. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the white, like Zach. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wealth. Zach Wilson is not lacking on um, guys to throw to anymore. And like, and again, dude, and I hate to take up any more time talking about Sam Darnold, but we didn't do shit for Sam Darnold. Right, bro. All those guys came in right after, <laughs> like pretty yeah, much right after. Like we, yeah. And then, I mean, I don't think we're going to hit um, more super in-depth on, on, on the second round at all. But yeah, and then like in the second round, the Jets traded up and got a, the best running back in the draft. So yeah, it's Zach Wilson is he's 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 stoked. He are it was already tweeting stuff um out on the Wilson the Wilson. So yeah, it's it's so good. It's locked down, bro. It's locked down. Jets Jets Super Bowl twenty twenty two. I love it. I love it. As long as it's I mean, you know, other than the Denver Broncos, but uh <laughs> and then uh so at 11, uh, the New Orleans, uh, New Orleans Saints select Chris Olave, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Uh, and then we initially thought this was going to be Kyle Hamilton, the safety, uh, going to the commanders. Um, and that's because this pick originally belonged to the commanders. Uh, but this was a draft day trade. And so the, the Saints moved up to number 11 uh, from the commanders in exchange for the 16th pick in the first round. Uh, number 98 in the third and then 120 in the fourth. Uh, so a decent haul there uh, to move up just five spots. Um, and for the New Orleans Saints, I mean, I don't know. I just, I guess, it, you know, they always really like their Ohio State guys, I think, but there was enough wide receivers on the board that they really did not need to move up, um, in my personal opinion. Uh, and they still could have gotten a really solid talent. But, I mean, if Chris Olave is your guy, Chris Olave is your guy, and you can't be mad at uh, that talent going there with New Orleans Saints. And uh, Jameis has very little excuses this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, and I think that especially in this draft, there was – because, there, I mean, there's good depth throughout uh, the wide receiver class this year. But when you're really going through it, like – Drake London's gone. Garrett Wilson's gone. And, you know, then you got what? You got Olave. You got Jameson Williams. How many How many more, like, truly elite guys are on the board left? So, yeah, I think. And even more so, I keep forgetting that um, Jameis is, like, the random stopgap quarterback for the Saints right now. And right. Jameis has a you know, so – yeah, get Chris Olave, run some deep balls, let Jameis throw the ball. So, yeah, it makes sense. But, yeah, I think that's why that run on wide receivers happened was because you started to see the, the truly cool. was just running out, you know. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. And I mean, you still had guys like Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks and Christian Watson, but to your point, those are not the, like, I, I would say those are the second tier of could be really, really good, but are not like as sure talents as, as the first uh, pool of guys really were. So um, yeah, good move from the New Orleans Saints there. Give up a little haul, move up and uh, get their guy. And then at number 12, uh, the Detroit Lions select Jason or Jamison Williams, wide receiver out of Alabama. Uh, we thought this was going to be Derek Stingley, cornerback to the Vikings. Um, and this was another trade here. So the Lions received the 12th pick and then the 46th pick in the second round from the Vikings for the 32nd pick in the first round, the 34th pick in the second round. So basically another first rounder uh, and then uh, 66 in the third round. And um, yeah, Jameson Williams, solid pick. Um, I think, you know, he didn't seem like too happy about being picked by the Lions. Um, But I mean, why would you if you're going to Jared Goff? But uh, I think that like we've talked about with the Lions and uh, like we talked about a little bit off air is the Lions had a couple of different options going into this draft they could look to try and get a quarterback or view this year as another building year. And so you're just trying to fill out the roster, get the best players you can get on the roster um, and then look for the solution at quarterback uh, maybe next year um, or see what is coming up in free agency. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, can't be mad about them adding Jamison Williams, solid wide receiver from Alabama, uh, still working through that ACL uh, injury that he suffered in the championship game, but uh, he's going to be just fine. He's going to be a star for the Lions. Yeah, I love this pick for the Lions. Um, I thought it was I thought it was very interesting that the Lions traded up to get him. Um, yeah, but you know, like just like we said with the Saints, if that's your guy, that's your guy. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think you know, and this is something that we talked about. Um, you know, to your point in regards to looking forward to next year, um, Bryce Hall is coming out in the draft next year. And, you know, if you're the Lions, depending on how good you guys are going to be, I mean, the roster is relatively the same minus the rookies, right? It's not like they went went out and traded for somebody crazy or got yeah. some big agency signing. The roster is pretty much the same minus the rookies. So, you know, J-Mo's not going to get rushed back. He's going to have some time, and I think he'll be ready to go by training camp, um, you know, maybe a little bit later. But, you know, by the preseason, he should be good to go. Um, and, yeah, you got Aiden Hutchinson. You got Jameson Williams. Those are blue-chip off- uh, offensive and defensive talent. Um, Aiden Hutchinson is going to be your franchise player. And then you have, uh, you know, Jameson Williams is going to be your new franchise wide receiver. He's a burner, dude. He's an absolute burner. So yeah. whatever Jared Goff has in that arm, um, you know, he can let it go. And then you still got Armand St. Brown on the other side and you still got DeAndre Swift. And, you know, so they, they have a few more pieces in Detroit now. Um, but, yeah, I think if you're if you're a Lions fan, you're going to have to hold on one more year till you guys get Bryce Young. And then you guys will have that Alabama connection to um, to set the world on fire like the Miami Dolphins are hoping. Yeah, man. Yeah. With Tua and, and all them. And the yeah. And the Eagles, the Eagles, dude. True. I don't, I don't want to say it because I haven't been on an Alabama thing the last few episodes. But is Alabama taking over the NFL right now, Ryan? 
is that kinda, what's kind of a little bit. It's it's pretty unfortunate. I'm like I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then yeah, solid pick there. Uh, you know, he's an Alabama player. Hard to imagine he's gonna have problems in the league. Um, and then at number thirteen, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles selecting Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia. Uh, this originally belonged to the Texans and we thought it was going to be Jermaine Johnson on the edge there. Um, but yeah, so the Eagles received number 13 from the Texans in exchange for number 15 in the first round, uh, 124 in the fourth, 162 in the fifth, and then 166 in the fifth. And uh, yeah, I mean, Jordan Davis, this was a pick that with the Baltimore Ravens selecting at 14, um, a lot of people thought Jordan Davis was a Ravens player. Like that's, he just had that Ravens vibe to him. Um, like we've talked about before. And so the Philadelphia Eagles felt like, no, I think he's actually, uh, an Eagles player, uh, which I think is an equally just as good fit as it would have been with the Ravens. Um, if not honestly better fit just because of how specifically, um, talented there like historically they've been on that defensive line and then you have Fletcher Cox who I believe Jordan Davis even uh, has specifically mentioned as um, one of his idols growing up now he gets to play alongside him after they just brought him back on another deal uh, this offseason here and um, yeah I mean I would have loved to see him in purple but I really cannot be mad at the Philadelphia Eagles pick there. No, I love this pick so much. And we're going to get into it later on, too. I love this pick so fucking much. I love Jordan Davis as a player. Um, I love him as an athletic specimen. Dude is 6'7", 340-some pounds, and runs faster than Patrick Mahomes. It's crazy. Um, And even more so, dude is a hard worker. So uh, after the bowl game – Heading into you know the combine stuff like that, Jordan Davis dropped thirty pounds just to show teams that he's not you know he's not just some big guy um, you know that's not you know committed to the work. He dropped thirty pounds you know yeah. just so he could run fast at the combine. Um, and so yeah, I think the Eagles got a dog. Um, literally, they got a bulldog. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I love this pick so much for the Eagles. Um, and exactly like you said, now he's going to be able to learn under Fletcher Cox, who honestly, you know, is a very good comparison, you know, um, you know, just a big, nasty defensive tackle. That's what they got, dude. I'm I, the Eagles killed this first round, like and partially because of, you know, the the big move later on. But like the Eagles killed this. The Eagles killed this first or this first round. I can't say enough about the Jordan Davis bit. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agreed on everything there. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a perfect fit there in Philadelphia. Um, and then number 14, uh, we have the Baltimore Ravens, and they selected Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. We thought this was going to be Trent McDuffie, the cornerback. Uh, the Ravens did and do really need cornerback help, uh, especially after Jimmy Smith leaving. And uh, But Kyle Hamilton, honestly – one of my favorite picks of this entire draft uh, and the more I sit on it, the more I love it. This is a guy like you were talking about, like I need to get a Jersey of that guy. Kyle Hamilton's one of those guys for me. I think that's going to go so hard in the purple. Um, and Kyle Hamilton also is somebody that like he, because we picked up Marcus Williams this off season, you still have Chuck Clark. So you have two starting safeties. 
if you want to move Kyle Hamilton around and have him be a specific role and let him cover the tight ends and put him in some nickel and dime packages and um, almost make him a cornerback at times, he can do that. Um, I think he's a little more rangy. And so you don't necessarily want him stuck out in traffic uh, with smaller, faster receivers, but um, he's got a lot of versatility and he can be used in a few different ways. Um, and then he's also going to be the future uh, for the Ravens at that safety position. Um, so, yeah, I love that pick. Uh, yeah. The, to me, this is the beginning of the end. Like once the Ravens picked Kyle Hamilton, I was like, the Ravens already killed this shit. Like yeah. they already killed it. Like how do they do this year in and year out? How do they kill this shit every single year? Um, Kyle Hamilton dropping to 14. There was talks of Kyle Hamilton going to the Jets at four. There was talks of like I've done research on Kyle Hamilton because I thought he was an option at the Jets at four or at 10, you know, so yeah. he dropped down to the 14th pick. He's truly a unicorn type of safety. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's he he's a guy that you don't get in pick 14 and you got him at 14. And he's going to an organization that's extremely well run. Uh, tons of le- uh, leaders in that um, in that secondary group. He's just going to be able to get so much knowledge from all these guys. And, and honestly, like he just he couldn't be going into a better situation. And the Ravens couldn't be getting a better player. Like it's just literally the perfect marriage of two things. And I'm so mad about it. I'm so mad that the Ravens. <laughs> are so good at this because I feel like the Jets killed it so bad, but then you go and look at what the Ravens did in the first round. You're just like, fuck. Okay. Well, yeah. Give it to both guys. I'm not going to say like, I'm a little bit biased on the Ravens, obviously, but between the Jets and the Ravens, like their full drafts, I think those are the, you know, one a one B of best drafts, at least on paper before we see how all these guys turn out uh, in the NFL. Uh, I think both the, the Jets and the Ravens just completely killed every single pick, uh, starting for the Ravens with Kyle Hamilton here at number 14. Uh, and then number 15, uh, this is a pick that came from the Eagles. The Texans selecting Kenyon Green, offensive lineman, Texan, uh, Texas A&M. Um, and then we thought this was going to be Jamison Williams uh, out of uh, Alabama to the Eagles. Um, you know, obviously loved that fit, the Bama fit um, with uh, Jalen Hurts there. And yeah, they got their wide receiver a little bit later on, but Jameson Williams was gone uh, and Eagles trade that pick. So the Texans go ahead and select Kenyon Green, uh, a player that I really, really, really liked. Um, for me, it was between Zion Johnson and him when you're talking about inside offensive linemen, um, but you couldn't have gone wrong with either guy. Um and yeah, the Texans get a great offensive lineman to add to that and start uh, protecting Davis Mills. Yeah, and 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 this is how you start making up um, and making me eat my words um, about the Derek Stingley thing, um, because then you went and got the guy in the trenches. You went and got yeah. you know the guy you were supposed to get, you know, and you know so now you got the premier corner, and now you got the the best guard in the draft, arguably. So yeah, um, yeah, I. I Texans had a sneaky good first round too. I, I love this pick. I love Jalen Green. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, so for number 16, uh, this is the pick that was originally the Saints and uh, 
the uh, traded with Washington up to 11 there. So the Washington commanders at 16 end up selecting Jahan Dotson, wide receiver out of Penn State. Um, at, if the Saints were still here, we thought this was going to be Trevor Penning, offensive tackle. Um, but yeah, Jahan Dotson, a solid, solid guy. He's a burner, super fast. Um, I thought that he was going to be more of a end of the first round, uh, beginning of the second round type of guy. Um, and I thought that there were more talented wide receivers. Um, but if you're just looking for a straight burner at this point in the draft, um, he was the highest upside guy left. And from what I understand, I guess the Washington commanders had an eye on him coming into the draft, like in particular anyways. So uh, he was their guy. And if that's your guy, you got your guy. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I, I had heard about that saying before. The commander really liked him as well. Um, and honestly, you just need someone to go opposite of Terry. You know, scary yeah. Terry just needs a running mate. You just need someone opposite of him. Um, I mean, Fitzmagic is still up there, right? Is that their quarterback right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick? Um, you know what? I, I don't know that he's on the roster. I think it's just uh, Heineke at the moment and whoever else. Shout out I to be... Heineke. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. You oh, like Carson. Oh! Carson. <laughs> we both completely forgot about oh, Carson. Damn. Um... Well, that should say enough about the Washington Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we'll have to see what Dotson does up there. Uh, certainly some weapons up there for Carson. And, um, I mean, that's going to be, you know, even though it's Carson and he hasn't had uh, the best last few years, um, easily the best uh, quarterback that, the Washington commanders have had and the, uh, those wide receivers are going to have had. Um, so we'll just have to see how that goes with them. Um, but yeah. And then, so number 17, the Los Angeles chargers selecting Zion Johnson, uh, inside offensive lineman from Boston college. Um, this was my other favorite inside offensive lineman alongside Kenyon green, uh, could have gone either way there. I really like this pick from the Chargers. When you look at them, two of their biggest weaknesses was defense and run defense in particular, um, and then just protecting the quarterback. Um, they do have a solid offensive line, but they had a couple holes there, and then just not enough depth when uh, injuries came up to uh, key, sustain the level of play. So it's picking Zion Johnson here, I think he's going to start, but even if he doesn't, uh, that's a solid piece that you can rotate around the line uh, he can get snaps at different positions, and he's a talented guy that will eventually start, uh, if not immediately. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree to every point you said. You really have to uh, – you got to protect Justin Herbert, you know, and if – as long as Justin Herbert's okay, the, the Chargers are going to be okay. Justin yeah. Herbert is – you know, he will keep them in games. And, yeah, Zion Johnson is, you know, like you said, second best inside offensive lineman. He's going to keep Herbert upright, uh, give Austin Eckler some more running lanes and make their offense that more better. And when you're talking about a L.A. Chargers team that has a really good offense, dude, um, and especially who did – this is what we talked about when we, um, when, we did, when we talked about the Chargers. They had the opposite of a response to Russell Wilson and Devontae Adams coming to the division. They went and got Khalil Mack, and they went and got um, – yeah. What's that corner's name? Um, 
uh, JC Jackson, Jackson from the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. So they went and got uh, they went and got Cleo Mack and JC Jackson, and then this is how you do that again. You go and get a, a, a strong offensive lineman uh, in the first round of the draft. You know to help help protect your quarterback and help keep him upright from the Chandler Jones and the Max Crosby's and um, you know the Bradley Chubbs and just everybody in that division is just just monsters. Um, the Nick Bonitos. Exactly. The Demarcus Lawrence's, you know, like <laughs> they're just they're everywhere. They're just running wild in the AFC West and you gotta keep you gotta keep her you gotta keep Herbie fully loaded. So uh, <laughs> absolutely. I love that. Uh, <laughs> wow. And then yeah, so number 18, uh, our next pick here. This is uh probably one of the biggest picks in the entire draft reason being why uh, this was initially the Eagles pick. However, the Titans uh, traded with the Eagles and received the 18th pick and uh, number 101 from, or number 101 in the third round from the Eagles in exchange for wide receiver, AJ Brown. So uh, the Eagles get a big, big time wide receiver, uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, pro bowl talent to throw to. Um, and then the Titans all of a sudden need a wide receiver and they have the number 18 pick in the NFL draft. So they go ahead and select Traylon Burks wide receiver out of Arkansas. Uh, we originally thought uh, if this was the Eagles pick, they may go Dax Hill, the safety or a combination safety cornerback. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, perfect pick for the Titans now needing a wide receiver. Um, if AJ Brown wanted out, he wanted out, you know, so, uh, don't have to pay him big money. You can move on to a younger receiver uh, with a lot of upside. I think Traylon Burks is still pretty raw and he has a lot of uh, places where he needs to grow. Um, but I think that he could be just as productive as AJ Brown, to be completely honest with you, uh, if he can develop into what they want him to be. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit later, but they got a brand new uh, quarterback that he came in with in the same class as well. Um, so yeah, good pick for the, the Titans. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm being honest with you, the Eagles went out of this. And the yeah. only reason I say the Eagles went out of this is because the Eagles got A.J. Brown. Yeah. And I just – I'm such a big believer in A.J. Brown. And from my knowledge, I don't think it was a lack of that A.J. didn't want to be there. I think it was a lack of the Titans having the money to pay his ass. I think the Titans' uh, highest contract offered to him was like 16 mil a year. Which yeah yeah I mean it's Tyree like, Hill, like twice as much as that you know yeah yeah well so, and so, to me it's one of the well go ahead I'm sorry I'm interrupting you no 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 I was just gonna say so you know if you can go somewhere and make twice as much as that why why not you know like yeah no I totally agree with that from AJ's perspective certainly um and I like I think you're totally right. Uh, or at least my understanding too, is uh, you're totally right on that where like from, if you're looking at it from the Titans perspective, you've given Tannehill this contract, you can't really get out of it uh, unless you just want to straight up cut him, but then you're going to be an awful team. So you don't really want to do that. So you need to figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, but AJ Brown wants to be paid now. Um, and there is potentially he might've held out if he didn't get paid. Uh, so if right. you don't have the space for it, you're kind of like your hands almost forced. You know what I mean? Uh, at least the way I, I view it. So from that perspective, 
kind of making the best out of a bad thing where like, you know, you can't afford to pay him what he wants to be paid because you have to, on top of a uh, Tannehill's contract, you have to pay everybody else and, and fill out the roster. Um, and you're still trying to compete. So uh, I think from a long-term perspective, I think that this is a better move for the Titans to try and get younger, um, which is clearly what they're trying to do, picking up a new quarterback. And uh, I would expect to see Tannehill uh, probably not this year. I think we get like one and a half more years out of Tannehill. And then Malik Willis probably comes in. Who that's who they picked, by the way. I guess I didn't say that before. Uh, they picked Malik <laughs> Willis, and uh, fucking, I think he comes in like a year and a half from now in the middle of the season once he's had some time to develop. And then after that offseason, uh, maybe at that point, because at that point, uh, Tannehill's contract is not going to be as egregious necessarily. So, like, maybe you can trade him, but I honestly think you end up cutting him altogether. Who? Yeah, I think you end up cutting Tannehill, too. Um, and, yeah, I definitely feel you. I mean, as far as, like, future Tennessee, future Tennessee loves Traylon Burks. Like, and I they definitely Traylon lost Burks, right now, though. But for sure they lost. And even more so, <clears throat> the thing, the other thing that I'm, like, I'm still citing on the Eagles is we know how good AJ is right now. We know yeah. how good AJ is. And Jalen needs someone right now. Um, you know, if Traylon takes any sort of developmental stage at all this year, the Titans offense is going to be that much, you know, that much worse down. off. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Robert Woods. But Robert Woods is your number one right now. And, yeah. and obviously in their offense, that's not truly like, you know, a game like they don't need two or three guys in the Titans offense. They need Derrick Henry and that offensive line. But, you know, when you can key in on Robert Woods, and, I mean, there's a reason why Robert Woods was the two or the three option in other offenses. Like, just there's that reason, you know. But, you know, now you got Traylon Burks on the other side. It hopefully takes some pressure off of him. Um, you still got Derrick Henry. Um, I still think the Titans are still going to be a force. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, if you want to stay a contending team, this is how you do it. This is what you did right now. You trade A.J., that way you don't have to pay him and you, you know, you draft Tannehill's replacement to learn under Tannehill to, cause I honestly, Tannehill was one of those raw uh, athletic quarterbacks as well coming out of the draft when Miami took him, he used yeah. to be a wide receiver, you know? Yeah. And so maybe it took all those Miami years and him getting into Tennessee to truly develop, to get him to where he's at right now. So honestly, Malik Willis probably couldn't have landed in a better spot because you know, Tannehill's been through it, you know, and, you know, it sounds like Malik Willis, part of the reason why he dropped was because, you know, people were so unsure of, you know, just how raw he truly is. So, yeah, yeah I think you're right. I think this is one of the one trades that everyone kind of made out okay, you know. A.J. Yeah. Brown got paid. Eagles got a wide receiver. They need one. Tynes got younger and cheaper all around. So. I think everybody's good. It added some drama. Exactly. We always love to add the drama. I mean, ahead, can't drama. be mad at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Jalen Hurts has a brand new target to throw to. The Eagles are looking really exciting this year. And uh, yeah, the Tennessee Titans are starting to, I, I guess that's kind of an admission that their current window may be over. Um, 
because I don't think you're going to compete this year with Traylon Burks and Robert Woods as your top two wide receivers, even if you have uh, King Henry at full strength. So um, it seems like they're kind of accepting that they're in a transitionary stage at this point, um, despite being the number one seed last year too, um, is an interesting note. And without uh, King Henry for a good chunk of that season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how the, that works out for both teams, but um, I think it works out for both of them in, in different ways right now, for sure. So, and then number 19, the New Orleans Saints selecting Trevor Penning, offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. Uh, we thought this was going to be Chris Olave, Olave wide receiver. Um, so, and this was one of the few things that on this mock we actually got right, but in the different order. Um, the New York or New Orleans Saints did end up getting both Trevor Penning and uh, Chris Olave, which were our mocks for them, but just in opposite spots. Um, and they did a little trading up for Chris Olave there. Um, but yeah, I mean, can't be mad at that. You got the Ohio State wide receiver, and then you go and get Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa, a solid offensive tackle, uh, absolute bulldozer, super strong, just loves to maul people. Um, he's got some development, but the saints have historically been really good at developing offensive tackles and offensive linemen in general. Um, so not too worried about it at all. I think that's a good spot for him. Uh, and he's probably going to be a pro bowl player for them for a long time. Yeah, I agree that this was, uh, my second favorite tackle in the draft. This is my favorite tackle, um, due to his tenacity, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, He's just a net. Like, if you go back and look at some of his highlights from like the senior bowl and, you know, different things like that, like he literally, I think it was at his combine, he threw the defensive lineman into the quarterback, you know, because he's like just literally throwing him around so much. He ended up just throwing him into the quarterback. Like, dude is just such a powerhouse, such a strong guy. Um, and yeah, exactly what you just said. The Saints are known for developing offensive linemen. Um, go look at their offensive line right now. Half of those guys are first round, second round picks that they've developed, and they're like above average starters, if not Pro Bowl starters. Um, that just a lot of a lot of the offensive line for the Saints just doesn't get enough love. But yeah, the Saints are going to do their thing. Uh, and now you start you know, looking at their draft class or at least their first round and saying like, yo, Saints looking real nice. Got someone to protect Jameis. Got someone to throw uh, for him to throw to. It's pretty, pretty nice first round. I can't get mad about it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and then at number 20, the Pittsburgh Steelers selecting Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of pit. Uh, we thought this was going to be Kyrie Elam at cornerback, but we also thought both uh, Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis would have been gone by now. Um, and I think that the common um, narrative or agreeance was that if a quarterback fell to the Steelers, it was probably going to be uh, one of them. I honestly thought that they liked Malik Willis more um, and they did have their choice of both here, but uh, they take the quarterback out of pit. I mean, can't be mad at the fit there. Um and yeah, I, I think Kenny Pickett's probably going to be good for them. I, I would be surprised to see if it ends up being him or Trubisky starting this year, um, because I, I'm really interested to see if Trubisky has developed while he was uh, sitting behind Josh Allen. But uh, we very well could see Kenny Pickett starting immediately, uh, if not just a few weeks into the season. 
Yeah, I think Mike Tomlin said that there's a chance um, he could be a week one starter. I think someone already asked Mike um, if there's a chance that Kenny could be a week one starter, and he said depending on depending on how it goes. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, the Steelers are truly waiting for Baker Mayfield to get released. And I think if Baker yeah. Mayfield would have been released, they would have took him. But the Browns are not going to trade Baker to a in-division rival. So that's why there's no Baker on the Steelers. And they missed out on everybody else. Who else were they going to get with their cap situation? And, you know, the, you know, and the Steelers historically don't really want to, like, go out and, you know, trade for Deshaun Watson or go trade for a Russell Wilson. Historically, it's just not the way their franchise runs. So, yeah, this was the way I thought they were going to get a quarterback if one wasn't released, a la Baker Mayfield. Um, they got Mitch Trubisky as like, hey, this will at least do something for us. And, um, yeah, now you're hoping that Kenny Pickett is going to be better than Mitch because if Kenny is – bad in any sort of way like the Steelers are going to have a rough rough year with Trubisky um and like a backup Kenny Pickett I like if Kenny just needs to come out play his ass off win the starting job in the preseason and then Mitch Trubisky could just be Mitch Trubisky he could just be a backup quarterback doesn't have to worry about it the Steelers fans and their franchise can just move on with Kenny Pickett but yeah it's going to be kind of hard to do that right now um because we don't know how good Kenny Pickett can be. So we're going to see, though. And I think another thing that probably was easier for the Steelers to pick Pickett if he was here at this spot was um, the, the, the Pitt Panthers and the Steelers both share a facility. So, Ooh. like, yeah. So I'm sure the Steelers had scouts looking at Kenny Pickett. Yeah, inside and fucking day. Yeah, yeah, like every day. You know, and so, yeah, I'm sure they got a pretty good look at him. And, yeah, he was here at 20, so they took his ass. Only quarterback in the first round, though. So, congratulations, Kenny Pickett. Yeah, I mean, yeah, congrats to him. I'm still – I mean, I think that a lot of people did view Pickett as their number one quarterback out of this class, and I do think he was the most pro-ready out of this class. Um, But I I personally viewed Malik Willis as a a better – at least having a higher ceiling – overall um but yeah Kenny Pick ended up being the only uh quarterback to go in the first round of this draft and uh he went to the Pittsburgh Steelers good fit for them there and we'll have to see how it plays out uh and honestly I mean if Kenny Pickett does come out and he's the starter you know uh can't be too angry at having uh Nickelodeon MVP uh Mitchell Trubisky as your backup quarterback so (laughs) Um, but yeah, so number 21 with the Kansas City Chiefs here, they unfortunately select Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. And we thought that this was going to be uh Nicobe Dean, uh, if the Patriots were still at this pick. Um, but the uh, Chiefs received number 21 from the Patriots in exchange for the 29th pick in the first round, the 94th pick in the third, and then the 121st in the fourth. Um, and Trent McDuffie, uh, not in terms of like ranking them, but he was one of my favorites uh, in the quarter, cornerback class this year. Um, just a player that I think is a little bit underrated and he's going to be a really, really solid starter um, for the Chiefs and cornerback a position in need for them. 
um, especially with Devontae Adams coming into the division. And um, yeah, I mean, can't be, well, I, I can be mad at it because I'm a Broncos fan, but can't be mad at it from their standpoint. Um, I think it's a great pick and a great fit for them. Yeah, and I agree a thousand percent. This is the best corner you could have got at this point in the draft. Yeah. And you went up and got him. Um, and even more so, like, the Chiefs just continue to add just solid, solid players to continue that Super Bowl, like to add that Super Bowl window. Uh, Trent McDuffie, dude, is going to be a 10-year starter probably, you know. Um, yeah. Going to be locking it down over there. So, yeah, he – at least Trent was my third-rated corner uh, after Saw Stingley and, um, yeah, and then Trent. So, yeah, I thought um, – I thought this is the best that they can do, and they definitely did it. So, shout out to the Chiefs one time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of right there with you. I think for me, McDuffie or Booth, you could go either way um, just because, like, I think Booth has shown more on tape, but because of the injury history, I think you probably can rank him below McDuffie. Um, But I also just really like the potential of McDuffie. Um, And he did have production – uh, at the, there at Washington, but uh, it just wasn't quite as much as I think Booth showed. Um, but he didn't end up going until the second round uh, because of those injury concerns. So, uh, but yeah, and then so moving on here uh, at number 22, the Packers selecting Quay Walker inside linebacker out of Georgia. Uh, we thought this was going to be George Karloftis, the edge. Um, this is very Packers pick. I guess is the way I'll say it. Um, I think there were a lot of people that were screaming at the screen for a wide receiver, probably Aaron Rodgers uh, included. But I think at this point, when you look at the board and who was off of it, kind of like we were talking about before, a lot of those top tier wide receivers are off the board at this point. So you're looking at the high upside uh, guys more so. Um, that could really go more in the uh, beginning of the second round and uh, middle of the second round, probably. So uh, from that perspective, the Packers decide to go defense. Um, Quay Walker, you know, between there's two inside linebackers that had first round grades coming into uh, or out of Georgia that uh, coming into this uh, draft here between Quay Walker and uh, Nicobe Dean. And uh, I think Nicobe Dean, in my opinion, is the better of the two, uh, but he had severe injury concerns, which actually ended up, uh, ended up making him drop till if it wasn't the second round, it was the third. Um, it was quite a waste for him and for the talent that he is. Uh, and he ended up landing with the Eagles, which is a fantastic fit, by the way. Um, but yeah, so the uh, Packers ended up taking the other uh, inside linebacker from Georgia here, Quay Walker, who I think has more uh, athleticism than Nicobe Dean and more kind of, uh, I, I guess, flashed more ceiling. But I don't think he was nearly as polished uh, a prospect as I consider Nicobe Dean to be. Um, but he also didn't have those injury concerns either. So, uh, and then even other uh, over um, Devin Lloyd, uh, the Packers take Quay Walker, which I thought Devin Lloyd, if you're not going to take Nicobe Dean for the um, injury concerns, to me, Devin Lloyd is the pick there but not, and not Quay Walker. But, I mean, Quay Walker is still a first-round talent inside linebacker, and uh, 
the Packers have a very rich history of developing inside linebackers as well. So I, I think he'll be just, just fine there. Yeah, I thought this was, like you said, a typical Packers move. Um, I, I didn't look at Quay Walker too much just because I was really focused on Nakobe and Devin Lloyd. Um, but I'll probably go back, see what the Packers end up getting out of him. But, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I would imagine that it was – it's got to be Nakobe's uh, injury concerns that pushed him out of the first round. I think it was the third round that he got picked in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I could have seen Devin Lloyd here um, for the Packers just as well, but they went with Quay and – you know, at least it adds to, you know, their uh, their defensive front just to just to help, you know, hopefully dispel some of the defensive woes from last year. You know, uh, I just really do think that, you know, hopefully Quay Walker come in, and just add some solid some solid snaps right away. So that way the the Packers can be relatively, um, you know, status quo from last year and just try to keep on moving. So, yeah, that was a good. I thought it was a good pick. Yeah. And then uh, number 23 here. Uh, so this pick actually originally belonged to the Cardinals um, and then was traded to the Ravens for Marquise Brown, um, which home move in of itself to talk about. Uh, but they also received uh, in the third round number 100. And then the Ravens traded number 23 to the Bills in exchange for number 25 in the first round, as well as 130 in the fourth. So a couple of things to cover in there real quick. Uh, the trade of the Ravens or the Ravens trading Marquise Brown to the Cardinals. Um, yeah. I mean, this is apparently a move that it was kind of uh, known about for a couple of weeks and uh, pretty much hammered out, but they were waiting for the draft to do it. Um, and so it kept quiet. Um, which doesn't happen a lot. It, things seem to leak pretty easily, um, but they managed to keep it quiet till draft day. And Marquise Brown is now a Cardinal. Um, from my perspective, I think that Marquise was just never a really the best fit with the Ravens. I think that Lamar's style does not necessarily fit um, Marquise's skill set the best. And so those two always really kind of struggled to uh, connect the way that you would hope. And I don't think they got the best out of either of each other, um, even though they're very close friends, which, so it kind of sucks there that he got traded. But um, I think honestly for the Ravens, this was a move that needed to happen at some point. Um, and then, you know, you can't be mad at getting the first round pick out of it, to be honest with you. Cause I think that's more than I thought they would get for Marquise Brown um, for sure, to be honest with you. So uh, but yeah, so the, this pick that was traded to the Ravens then ends up in the hands of the Buffalo Bills um, and the Ravens get an extra fourth round pick out of it. And the Buffalo Bills select Kyer Elam, a cornerback out of Florida. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I just can't be mad at this pick. I, I really like Kyer Elam, uh, best cornerback available on the board. Or I'm sorry, after Booth, he's he was the best quarterback cornerback in my opinion on the board. But I think really the Buffalo Bills uh, took. I think more teams were concerned about Booth's uh, injury concerns as well than uh, I initially thought that they would be. So I think that's why Kyer uh, Elam was the pick here over uh, Booth. But I mean, I think Elam is still a first round talent. And uh, the Bills needed a cornerback, and they got one. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was a good pick for the Bills. Um, you know, when Tredavious White went down last year, 
they definitely had, um, you know, some problems in regards to, uh, you know, their defensive scheme got messed up a little bit. So hopefully adding another big body corner. Um, and Kyrie Elam, I'm pretty sure his brother um, also went to Florida. I think he got drafted by the Ravens a few years ago. Um, but I think his brother was a safety. I think his brother's Matt Elam. Um, I'm, not entirely, I'm not entirely sure. He was a bust. So if you don't yeah. remember him, not surprising. Um, but yeah, you know, so he's got a little NFL pedigree in the league and, yeah, I think the big the big move there is Hollywood Brown going to uh, the desert. I think that's crazy. Um, but I, I I haven't been high on Hollywood Brown and exactly what you said. Uh, I'm surprised they got a first round pick for him. Like that's that's more than I I would have never paid more than a third for Hollywood. Never, never ever. Definitely not a second or a first. But the Ravens do Ravens things, my friend. The Ravens do Ravens things. They were able to get rid of Hollywood Brown before they had to pay him. Um, it sucks that I had to break up that little friendship between him and Lamar, but you could always text your boy. You know, you don't have to work with him, you know, so I get it. Yeah, I mean, just masterful from the Ravens. I mean, you look at – they gave up Marquise Brown and then a third-round pick in this trade um, for a first-round pick. But then you change or uh, go ahead and trade that pick, move down only two spots, and then get a fourth. So you basically lost almost nothing uh, in terms of draft capital. Um, you've gotten a first round pick for Marquise Brown. Like, really hard to be mad at that move. I, I think I would have liked to see them go after a wide receiver at some point uh, relatively early in this draft. And they did not end up doing that. They actually ended up taking like two tight ends and then a kicker or no, a punter, I think it was later in the draft. And it was like, huh? But the, I mean, the punter's going to be a really good punter in theory. So, I mean, I, I, you know, like all of those picks ended up being good picks and I like the um, players that they got, but I would have liked to see them uh, try to fill that need, which is still not filled now um, for the Ravens. And you're, you're, you know, going into the season now, unless you pick up, I mean, do the Ravens go and try and pick up like Odell now? Like, because you have a hole at number one and you're, you have like Rashad Bateman and uh, Devin Duvernay, like, and then special teams guys pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say they probably have to try to make, I mean, some Lamar. Sort of- Lamar to OBJ sounds nice. Lamar to uh, maybe maybe Hollywood's cousin comes through. I don't know. They they've been talking about that for a few years too. Maybe yeah. Antonio comes through. Um, but also, I mean, we still have we still have a little ways before the season starts. Um, so we, I mean, I'm just trying to think now that AJ Brown got traded. Debo Debo Samuel, dude. Don't oh, even fuck. don't even tease me like that, bro. He didn't go to the Jets. He didn't go to the Jets. You know what I'm saying? He didn't go to the Jets. So what's damn? And all I'm gonna say is the Ravens could give up some picks because I mean you guys are you know a contending team, and with the Debo Samuel, you guys could be you know getting later later in the first round. So maybe That's a the Ravens. Move. Are- I'm just saying, dude, it's a real aggressive opposite of the Ravens move. But, 
there still is a wide receiver out there that does not want to play for the San Francisco 49ers, and he is a baller. So I, I cannot I'm, tell you how much I would love that. Dude, I would – I'd probably just give up and just, <laughs> just be a Ravens fan at that point. I would just I would just give up and be a Ravens fan. How do you not be a Ravens fan Dude. if that happens? It would well, be crazy. And- Honestly, I think I, I love the fit of that so much too because I think Debo is somebody who is a very like yard after catch tour, uh, type of wide receiver, um, especially if he doesn't want to be used as much in that running scheme. You already have that taken care of between the wealth of running backs that the uh, Ravens have plus Lamar Jackson. Um, so then you can focus on Debo and just getting him the ball short distance uh, you know, on screens, on crossing routes, on jet sweeps, on all kinds of crap, and just getting the ball in his hands and letting him work. I mean, like, that's just absurd. Yeah, I, I don't know that that happens, but if it did, I would cry from, <laughs> from happiness. Like, that's just ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as of now, the Ravens still have a, a hole at wide receivers. So um, we'll have to see how they end up filming that. Uh, the other thing I was going to say too, was one of those tight ends that we picked Isaiah likely. Um, I do think that he's going to be a guy that like, I almost think you see the, uh, Ravens go like straight up, uh, like 13 personnel and three tight ends out, but having Isaiah likely who is kind of a smaller tight end, but a honestly, in my opinion, one of, if not the straight up best pass catching, tight end in this draft he just is not a good blocker um and so you could see him in more of kind of like a big slot role or hell even put him out on the outside um let him run some routes there like i i do definitely think we see that as well um with the amount of talented tight ends that the uh ravens now have and to be fair to the ravens lamar has shown that he likes to throw to tight ends more than any other position so go and get him three workable tight ends and <laughs> right, delete. Three more. Yeah. I mean, like trade for uh, like, they just don't trade for Debo Samuel and they just go get George Kittle. <laughs> but, no, but uh, yeah, I mean, interesting move there. It, you know, we're talking so much about the Ravens, but this is the Buffalo bills pick here, but um, yeah, I mean, good pick for the Buffalo bills, interesting trade for both the Cardinals and the Ravens. Uh, with interesting implications. I, I do think Marquise Brown is going to eat um, in the desert there with Kyler because I think that Kyler's skill set just fits with Marquise's way better than Lamar's did. Um, and so I think he's going to be a solid, uh, not quite replacement for um, uh, Christian Kirk because I, I honestly think Christian Kirk has more like flexibility as a wide receiver and he can do more things. Um, but as far as a burner, you got one again in Marquise Brown, which was something that they were lacking after uh, Christian Kirk leaves there. So, yeah. And then uh, at number 24 here, Dallas Cowboys selecting Tyler Smith, offensive tackle out of Tulsa. Uh, we thought this was going to be Arnold uh, Ebiquete. I always mess up that name. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Cowboys picking another offensive tackle. And when I look at that name, just tell me if this is just me. When I look at the name Tyler Smith, offensive tackle next to the Cowboys like that just looks exactly like a a Dallas Cowboys offensive tackle something about like those like normal ass white boy names they just have (laughs) like like just like for whatever reason and then that dude's probably going to be like an all pro 
first team all pro for the next like nine years with the Cowboys. Yeah. Just because exactly. that's how it goes with the Cowboys. Exactly. And I, I couldn't agree more like perfect Cowboy name, perfect Cowboy fit, perfect Cowboy need. You know, you're starting to get old on that offensive line. Some of those guys have been there or not there anymore, you know, and Tyron Smith is undeniably like Mr. Father Time. Dude does not get hurt ever. Right. Like just playing at a crazy level. Dudes have like four franchise quarterbacks at this point. It's just it's crazy. But eventually he's gonna get old. But for the now you got Tyler Smith to play on the right side and you know, back up um back up the other Smith and yeah, I mean I like literally Dallas Cowboys Tyler Smith just is is the thing. Like it that is the aesthetic that Tyler Smith has is uh, being a Dallas Cowboy. Yeah. And I I think that that was, um, I I don't necessarily know that Tyler Smith was mocked that high for most people, but the fake. Cowboy fans hate it. Cowboy fans hate it. I've I've seen like three Cowboy react videos. And one of them was literally like, don't take an offensive tackle. Don't take an (laughs) offensive tackle. Don't take an offensive tackle. And with the 24th pick, the Dallas Cowboys took Tyler Smith, and they're like, fuck! Yeah, <laughs> well, hey, I mean, I, you know, I don't know about the Cowboys fans, but I'm, I'm willing to uh, trust the Cowboys on their judgment when it comes to offensive tackles. I don't think that he was that high on my board, but if the Cowboys like him, I mean, you know, I, I'll believe he's going to bust when I see him bust. Like, I'm more prone to believe he's going to be a nine-year first team all pro just because his name's Tyler Smith and he got picked by the Dallas Cowboys. So, <laughs> exactly. But yeah. And then, so number 25 here, uh, this is the pick that the Baltimore Ravens and the bills swapped here. So the Baltimore Ravens select Tyler Linderbaum center out of Iowa. Um, and then if this was the bills, we thought it was going to be Traylon Burks, the wide receiver. Uh, but yeah, Tyler Linderbaum, great pick here. Uh, funny little uh, story that always gets told about him is uh, Tristan Wirfs, the uh, right tackle for the Buccaneers, um, who is just an athletic freak. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum was the only wrestler to pin uh, that guy, like at all in his entire career. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, funny little story there. They, like every single time his name gets brought up on NFL Network or whatever, they always tell that story. But I can't get over that. So um, yeah, clearly very uh, athletic, and um, he's a hard worker. From how I understand, he's a very smart guy. Um, just a franchise center, and uh, to get him at twenty five, I mean, like I think in the depth of this class you could definitely uh, understand him following this far. Uh, but for the the type of player that Tyler Linderbaum is, uh, 25 is a steal. Um, and so I think the Baltimore Ravens killed it here. Yeah, I mean, I've been telling you since draft night, like the Ravens killed this draft and getting Linderbaum center at 25 makes sense. Linderbaum's talent at 25 makes him the steal. You know what I mean? Because he he really is like the blue like he's for uh, the twenty fifth pick. He's the more one of the more for sure blue chip players, Um, best center in the draft. Um, The Kansas City Chiefs went out and got a center last year. Um, 
I think his name is Creed Humphrey. Yes. And he's literally the best center in the league. His first year in the league, like, or yeah. the second best, like, um, he's amazingly good. And the Ravens go in and add the best center from this year's draft. From offensive line you Iowa makes offensive linemen and tight ends. That's it. That's all they do. They don't have yeah. any other positions on the field. It just even their quarterback is a former offensive lineman. Like, and <laughs> that's not true, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, Iowa is known for elite offensive linemen, and they get another one. And even more so, the Ravens are adding protection to Lamar Jackson, running lanes for their wealth of running backs, and yeah, I mean, this dude's going to be your center for the next 10 years. And what more can you say? When you're able to get a 10-year starter, you know, at 25, like who be throwing around other offensive tackles, like I'm just saying, just the Ravens do Ravens things. Kyle Hamilton getting rid of Marquise Brown and Tyler Lindebaum all in the first round. Are all wins in my opinion. Those are all dubs. Those are all those are all big dubs, and the Ravens just keep making big dubs. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think they killed that, um, and they killed the entire draft. And they went out and got a uh, Daniel Fagale later uh, later in the draft, a tackle. Um, so did they just keep filling up that offensive line, uh, get an heir apparent on that right side after Orlando Brown gets uh, traded to the Chiefs? Uh, just a great draft for the Baltimore Ravens and another great pick for them there uh, with Tyler Lindebaum. And then number 26 here, uh, back to the New York Jets with their third selection of the first round and getting an absolute steal, in my opinion, at number 26, Jermaine Johnson, an edge at Florida State. Uh, you know, this was initially the Titans pick. Uh, we thought it was going to be Zeon Johnson, uh, but the uh, Jets received number 26 here, as well as uh, number 101 in the third round from the Titans in exchange for the 25th pick in the second round, the 69th pick, nice, in the third round, and then the 163rd pick in the fifth round. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, got a, a steal here at Jermaine Johnson. I think, in my opinion, he's a top 15 player in the, like, if you're look, talking about big board and on edge top five, for sure. Like, you know, in my opinion, I think I was talking about this a little bit later. I, I could see him above Kayvon Thibodeau um, or at least right among those guys uh, right there at the top. And he falls all the way down to 26 here. Yeah, this was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was listening to the draft because um, I was driving home and when I heard the New York Jets trade back into the first round, I literally started screaming. I was like, what? Like, I could not believe we executed a trade to get back in. And then the guy waiting for us, because I, 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 I don't know why Jermaine Johnson dropped so low, but thank the football gods that he did because he landed right in our lap and we walked away in the first round with – all of our giant needs filled. Corner, Sauce Gardner. Wide receiver, Garrett Wilson. And now our edge for the future, Jermaine Johnson the second, coming out of Florida State, who the Jets had, or some of these guys had him mocked at going to the Jets at four. You know, so the talent's there. And even more so, the Jets wanted him really bad. The Jets were 
the Jets called everyone from 15 down to 26. Wow. Everyone. They called everyone trying to trade up for Jermaine Johnson. And, um, yeah, they just like Jermaine said, um, you know, he wanted to be a Jet. That boy's a Jet now, and I could not be more ecstatic. I'm so excited to see how he fits into this defensive line group. Um, and, yeah, I think even more so in that wide nine that Robert Sala plays, he's just going to be able to scream off the edge where Carl Loftus might have some problems, um, you know, not having, like, a true other guy on the other side. But you have Mr. Pressure himself, Carl Lawson, screaming off the other side. One of the boys is going to get you. One of them boys is going to get you. So I'm just – I'm so excited. I would have I, – I, and I told you this, and I've, uh, I told – almost everybody else this. Um, I would have liked Karloftis right here, but Karloftis is more of um, – he's just a bigger, a little bit slower guy where Jermaine Johnson is um, – like Karloftis uses his strength uh, yeah. for his pass rush, where Jermaine Johnson uses his speed and explosiveness. And yeah. that's that's what Robert Sala needs in his defense. That's what Robert Sala needs in his defense is explosiveness and speed. And Jermaine Johnson, the second, got uh, both of those things in in a commodity. So I'm 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 excited that he's a Jet. I'm so excited that he's a Jet. Yeah, totally totally agree. Uh, especially on the Karlaftis and Johnson comparison, there is like I I think I would have liked either pick there for you guys, but Johnson is the better fit. Uh, more athletic by far, and uh, Karloftis is uh, just more of a power guy there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and especially at that value at 26, you just can't beat that. Um, and then at number 27, the Jacksonville Jaguars selecting Devin Lloyd, inside linebacker out of Utah. Uh, this originally belonged to the Buccaneers, and we thought it was going to be Kenyon Green, uh, who ended up actually going a lot earlier than we thought. Um, but the Jaguars received number 27 here from the Buccaneers in exchange for number 33 uh, in the second round and then number 106 in the fourth and 180 in the sixth. Um, and yeah, Devin Lloyd get uh, their inside linebacker of the future after uh, losing Miles Jack there. And um, yeah, I mean, hard to be mad at that pick. I, I thought Devin Lloyd was going to be uh, either the first or second inside linebacker off the board uh and i guess he was the second here but uh because of uh nicobe dean falling so hard but uh ends up going to the jacksonville jaguars yeah i love this pick for the jaguars some you know you really do got to start filling out these roster spots on a bad team uh, middle linebacker is one of them um you know so Devin Lloyd coming in he's going to be your middle linebacker of the future um and they also went and got chad mama in the third round yeah, uh, out of Wyoming. I like him I, too. I love him. I love him so much, tackling machine. So you're going to have both of those guys. I think both of them are going to be interesting contributors. I love Devin Lloyd, though. Like, I don't know how you watch game film of Devin Lloyd and you don't love Devin Lloyd. So yeah. um, the fact he's going to be down there. At, like, Jaguars had a sneaky draft, dude. Jaguars had a sneaky draft. Let's hope some of these guys pan out and um, – We'll see. We'll see what it looks like down in Duval. Yeah, with that brand new head coach, and they still need to fire their GM, but they're on the right path for sure. They got that quarterback, and he's progressing. And I mean, the more you do for him, the more he's going to be able to uh, get better. Because I mean, last year between the head coach and the roster, he was just 
kind of, you know, just swirling in the toilet, you know, like it's hard to get better when everything around you is not working how it needs to. Um, so for the Jacksonville Jaguars, best thing you can do is get some stability in there. And uh, I think they did that with a lot of their picks this year. Um, and then at number 28, the Green Bay Packers select Devontae Wyatt, defensive end out of Georgia. We thought this was going to be George Pickens wide receiver as they still have that need. Um, and this was probably a pick where you could have reached a little bit for one of those guys. Um, but they decide to, uh, Hold, hold it there, uh, wait for a wide receiver a little bit later and still take one of the blue chip players on the board. And I mean, can't be mad at Devontae Wyatt, you know, depending on whose board you're looking at, he's anywhere from honestly the first to like third best defensive end in this class. Um, but top tier cha- talent out of that super talented Georgia defense, uh, more of a, a pass rusher than his uh, running mate there in Jordan Davis, um, who is more of a, just a run stopper, kind of uh, eats up blocks in the middle, uh, you know, more of that nose. And so Devontae Wyatt is going to kind of, um, I wouldn't say replace uh, Zedaria Smith as much because he's, I would put him more as an inside uh, defensive end than like an edge. Um, but he's certainly going to replenish some of that pass rushing uh, that you need there that you're losing with Zedaria Smith. Yeah, and sometimes when um, – I think sometimes the Packers get away from defense a little bit too much. And yeah. I like uh, I like that they double down um, just to be able to, you know, start adding that youth back. Because sometimes I think what they'll do is they'll build up the offense, really like overpower the offense with Aaron Rodgers and all these guys. And <clears throat> then the defense is like the same guys for like six, seven years. And then those guys have an extreme drop off or they lose one of them in free agency or one of them, something happens to one of them. And then they have to replenish these guys. So getting a linebacker, getting a defensive end, just bringing guys in after you lose them just makes sense um, for the Packers. So that, just so that way you're constantly keeping a competitive roster, you know, and exactly what you said, why it's going to be able to add, you know, some nice pass rush to, um, to the guys they already have. So yeah, shout out to the Packers. I, I think I think the more I start to think about it, especially after we've talked about it, the Packers, the Packers had a had a decent draft, especially like when you yeah. start looking at who they got later on as well. Yeah, and it's one of those teams that I don't necessarily want to have a good draft, but uh, I really do like a lot of the picks that they made. Um, another one we're going to talk about a little bit later that I am a little bit mad that they made, but is a really good fit. Um, but yeah, I mean overall they did have a really good draft. I agree. And then, uh, so number 29 here, uh, pick from the chiefs that got traded to the new Orleans or the new Orleans, new or new England Patriots. And they select Cole strange an offensive guard out of Chattanooga. Um, we thought if this was going to be with the chiefs that, uh, they might pick David Ojabo here. Um, but yeah, Patriots, Cole strange, a player that a lot of people, mocked more towards the end of the second round, beginning of the third round, sometimes even a little bit lower. Um, but somebody that the Patriots and Bill Belichick really, really liked, uh, and they didn't want to take their chance on him falling. So they took him here at 29. And I mean, kind of like we've said before, I guess if it's your guy and you believe in him, go get him. Um, you know, I will have to see how this turns out for them, but uh, it's hard to doubt Bill Belichick with a lot of the success that they've had. 
uh, over the past years. So. I have nothing complimentary to say about this draft pick at <laughs> all, besides the fact that Cole Strange sounds like the dopest rapper name ever. True. Like, Cole Strange? Stop, dude. That sounds crazy right now. That's about to be my new rapper name. I might just stop the <laughs> podcast life and become a rapper, and my my rapper name would be Cole Strange. Cole That's- Strange. Dude, the minute the minute you said it, I was like, "That shit sounds so cool." Like, <laughs> it sounds so cool, um, but yeah, I mean, it's the Patriots. I don't, I don't literally have anything nice to say about it. We could just go right to the next pick. Yeah, man. Well, and to your point though about Cole Strange being a rapper name, his position, uh, like initials, is even OG. So there you go. Cole Strange OG. Stop. Gotta love it. That's, Gotta love it. That sounds so good. <laughs> and then at number 30 here, uh, Chiefs do have a pick here, and they select George Karloftis, edge out of Purdue. Uh, we thought this might be Jahan Dotson, a wide receiver um, out of Penn State, if he was still there. Uh, I thought that might have been a good fit to kind of replace Tyreek Hill a little bit, but uh, he got taken at number 16 to the Commanders, and so the Chiefs go edge here. Player I really liked in Karloftis, and I think he's going to be a really good player for the Chiefs. I kind of don't like that they picked them yeah i thought i mean the chiefs really did knock it out with their first two uh with their first two picks um you know you get trent mcduffie and you get carl loftus i think carl loftus is steal at the end of the draft um you know and yeah i think this is exactly what the chiefs needed was you know uh someone to add some new tools to the pass rushing arsenal and yeah, yeah like carl loftus is going to be one of them dudes that just is there and plays as a chief for the next, you know, eight years or however long he ends up playing. I hope he has a long career, but yeah, I think George Kalaftis is going to do great, great in Kansas city. And all of a sudden now you start looking at um, the chief's defense and now it's looks looking a lot better. Yeah. It looks, it looks just as strong as the offense now. So yeah, I think it's going to be real nice. Stupid chiefs. Anyway, but yeah, so number 31, uh, Cincinnati Bengals select Daxton Hill, safety out of Michigan. We thought this might be Andrew Booth Jr., a cornerback. And I mean, cornerback is a very big need for them. uh, But Daxton Hill, to an extent, can kind of fill both of of those for you between safety and uh, cornerback. He played a lot of different snaps in different positions. Um, and he's got that versatility. So I, I really like that pick for the Bengals there. Shore up that defensive back, uh, back room, and uh, he can do a lot of different things for you. Um, I think that Booth would, would have been a more solid, uh, just pure corner for them. Um, but, I mean, I, I can't hate the uh, versatility there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think – Really, for Booth, it comes down to the injury things again. I think this is another one of those thing or picks where he probably would have gone here above Daxton Hill had he not had those injury concerns because I do view him as a better overall player. Um, but with who is on the board here, uh, Daxton Hill is a really good pick. Yeah, and I like this pick uh, for the Bengals for the versatility that Daxton Hill presents just because I feel like he can kind of cover up some of the lack of uh, corner help. You know, whether you scheme around it, you have some sort of, you know, kind of like what you're saying with the Ravens, you have some sort of, you know, three safety package or, you know, yeah. you have him play some corner or some nickel or whatever it is. 
I think Daxton Hill can do a lot of things. And I think, you know, that can help cover the true, the true gap at um, cornerback. You know, I think that'll help cover that. And yeah, I think, honestly, I think Daxton Hill is a super solid player. Um, I do think Andrew Booth is more talented overall, but I don't think Daxton Hill is too far off in regards to that. He yeah. was probably, um, there's, um, there's not too many safeties that I put like a first round grade on just because I think you can get safeties in like second or third and it's usually just fine. Um, but like when you have guys like Kyle Hamilton, obviously that's an exception. Um, but yeah, I thought Daxton Hill was like very sneaky, you know, top of the second, uh, end of the first type of safety for me, just because I really do think his versatility is his best weapon. Just the fact that he can be anywhere, uh, in the secondary is, is truly, truly remarkable. And yeah, I think the Bengals got a, a nice, uh, nice pick here at 31. Yeah, totally agreed there. And then for our final pick of the first round, uh, we have at number 32, this was the pick that the Lions used to trade up for Jamison Williams. So it belongs to the Minnesota Vikings now. And they selected uh, Louis Seen, out, uh, safety out of Georgia. Uh, you know, just toss one more safety in there and one more uh, Georgia defense player uh, right before the end of the first round. We thought it might be Devin Lloyd um, if it was still the Lions. Um but yeah, I mean, solid pick for the Vikings. I do like Cine or Cine Cine. Um, and I mean, that Georgia defense, just absurd. I think uh, I can't remember the specific number, but it was like five or six players from that Georgia defense taken in the first round this year. And I was good enough for an NFL record for that, which is just absurd. So it just tells you how much talent uh, that Georgia defense had. And uh, another one taken here for the Minnesota Vikings at the end of the first round. Yeah, and this is perfect. This is um, – regardless of the player, this was a perfect, like, need fit for the Vikings. Um, you know, this is something that I thought they needed, you know, for the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they were able to finally get another safety in there alongside Harrison Smith. Um, you know, just to help fill out that room a little bit and give my boy Harrison Smith just some help on the on the back end. I mean, he does such a good guy. He, he, Harrison Smith truly is like a like he's if he's not the best safety, I don't know what he is because he's just so good in all areas of being a safety. Whether it's rangy coverage, whether it's hitting some guys super hard, covering tight ends, just whatever it is, Harrison Smith is really good at it and so the fact that you're adding uh, you know a nice stud um you know and lewisine to come and learn from him uh coming out of a championship defense in georgia like it's just perfect it's perfect 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 and hopefully this gives uh the vikings their you know safeties back there you know for the next you know foreseeable future yeah yeah absolutely agree there and agreed on harrison smith i do think he's a player that's really honestly been underrated the last few years. Um, And I, you know, mostly I assume just because of the Vikings not necessarily being in the top of the competitive sphere, but um, you know, he's still been playing really well, really good football. um, And one of, if not the best safety in the league, like you said, Um, certainly he had a case for that at some point in his career, if not still. Um, And yeah, I mean, just adding more talent to that Vikings defense and somebody to learn there. 
And then, so that'll do it for the full first round. Uh, we did want to mention a few more picks uh, from each of us that we really liked throughout the draft. Uh, for me, my first one here, uh, yeah, in round two, the beginning there, the Packers at number 34, selecting Christian Watson, wide receiver out of North Dakota State. And, uh, you know, obviously, like we were talking about before, the Packers really needing a wide receiver after uh, getting rid of Devontae Adams, trading him to the Raiders, and uh, didn't take one in the first round, took a couple defensive players. Uh, but right at the beginning of the first round, they take their shot. And uh, Christian Watson, I mean, to me, of those high, uh, you know, ceiling guys that weren't necessarily elite coming into the draft, but could be elite with some development, Christian Watson has the highest ceiling, uh, in my opinion. Um, I do think he has some drop issues at North Dakota uh, State that a lot of people are worried about. Um, And he does have, like I said, plenty of things to develop and work on. But he is a crazy athlete. Um, he's got all the tools that you want from a wide receiver. He's like six, four, he's a big target, but he can move. Um, and yeah, I mean, a great pick for them. Packers do it again. I, I think that, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, it's hard to see him, uh, not having a really good career. Yeah, I, the, the, the minute the first round was done, I knew this was going to be the Packers wide receiver choice. I knew they were going to pick him. Like I just, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, just Even like we talked wearing about green and yellow already. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like he, like it just, he is, he's been a Packer since birth. Like he just didn't know it yet. Right. So right. ultimately, yeah, he's a big, you know, he's one of those truly genetic freaks where he's got the big giant frame, but he's also a burner. Like, you know, these are the guys that if they don't go like super early because they're like a Julio Jones type of guy, then they go in the second round. This is just what happens with these more, um, you know, genetic freaks that need to develop a little bit. And yeah, where else are you going to go develop in a better place than the back-to-back MVP um, Aaron Rodgers in Titletown? And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. I know my, uh, my, my co-host isn't the biggest fan of Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> but um, I, I think that Christian Watson and A-Rod are going to be able to make a nice connection. And um, I mean, like, I know it's not a first round right receiver, but God damn, is it close enough? Like, like <laughs> it's yeah. the 34, you know, so yeah, might as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree with everything said. And I mean, good value there. They could have reached for him there at 28. Um, but instead they get a blue chip talent in Devontae Wyatt and then pick up a potential first round talent uh, right outside of it with Christian Watson. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I really like that pick, but I don't like it because it's the Packers, but you know, it is what it is. Um, and how about your first pick that you really liked Enrique? Uh, my first pick that I really liked, and I'm not sure of the exact pick that he was took in, but um, the Cardinals took Trey McBride, you know, and yeah, I think, I think it was in either the end of the second, beginning of the first, one or two. But Trey McBride, one of my favorite players, obviously he's a uh, local here. Uh, he played at CSU, you know. Yep. And I just love Trey McBride for so many different reasons. You know, not only is he a local kid, and I mean he, you know, won the best tight end award this last year, um, leaving college, going into the pros. Um, but, you know, Trey McBride has a super cool little a little background story. Um, 
you know, I I don't know for sure, but the there was a little report that came out on NFL.com that said that um, he he has the first same sex uh, parents of any draftee, which I oh, wow. thought that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. See, he's got um, he's got two moms, you know. So huh. yeah, very cool. Just yeah, yeah. So to see um, you know, any any sort of I love love. I'm a big sucker for it. So the fact right. that, you know, love like that gets a national spotlight in somewhere where it doesn't always get a national spotlight. And Trey McBride, you know, wears it as a badge, a badge of honor. So, um, you know, I love to see that. And, yeah, I just love to see a local Colorado dude, you know, get took in. And that, that Cardinals offense, especially now with Hollywood Brown, Trey McBride, Zach Ertz, DeAndre Hopkins – like you just keep going down, right? Like that, that, that Arizona offense is going to look really, really scary if, um, you know, they're able to use all these pieces the way I think they can. And if Kyler Murray, you know, wants the ball, like I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll go out and ball. So it just, Trey McBride adds that long list of weapons down there in the desert. And, you know, yeah, shout out to him. Congratulations to him and his, his parents, uh, both of his moms and, you know, his whole family for, uh, him getting drafted, you know, especially, especially like in the earlier rounds, you know, I, I knew that, you know, Trey was probably going to go, this group of tight ends was going to go in the second or third round anyways, but I think he was the first tight end um, off the board. So yeah. Shout out to him. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to him and a great landing spot for him. Like you said, plenty of weapons there for Kyler. Um, I love the fact that you brought up with uh, his two different mothers. And I, I didn't even know that with uh, being a Colorado native here and uh, him going to CSU. So uh, that's a pretty neat fact. And then uh, for my second one here uh, at just the pick right after the first one that I mentioned at uh, second round number 35, the Titans go and select Roger McCreary, uh, a uh, cornerback out of Auburn and I am an Auburn fan. I root for Auburn during the season. And um, yeah, Roger McCreary, by far the best player that was coming out of Auburn this year. Uh, Very hardworking player, plays with a lot of passion. um, And he's a good cornerback and he's going to be good for the Titans. I was a little bit uh, salty about this because I I thought that there might have been a chance that he fell all the way down to the Broncos at 64. um, But I was clearly very wrong about that as he got taken right outside the first round. So, uh, you know, proud for him to be taken higher than I thought that he might have. Um, Cause I think that he's worth that for sure. Yeah. I think, I think McCreary is a great corner. Um, definitely one of the best, uh, best corners coming out of Auburn lately. Um, and yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about Roger McCreary and I love the fit going to the tie-ins. I really, really love this fit. Yeah. I just think that's, you know, Raves down there. He's a just defensive mastermind. Um, I think they're going to be able to scheme him perfectly. And yeah, I mean, I just think he's going to look perfect in that Titans uniform. Like Roger McCreary, Tennessee Titan. Like there's just certain guys that just sound like they should be there. That sounds yeah. like he should be there. And yeah, I'm glad he went right outside the first round because I had a first round grade on him for sure. Um, I know a, a few other people did, but there's so many good corners in this draft that you know, some of these guys were going to have to get pushed down a little bit. And, you know, I'm glad McCreary got um, at least got picked in that in that top half, you know, first couple picks of the second round. So because to me, that's like, you know, once you get, 
you know, past a certain round, a uh, certain point in the second round, then it's like, okay, these guys are second round talents. But, yeah. you know, the five, six picks after the first round or first round guys that didn't fit in there, you know? Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that. And then uh, what about your second pick here, Enrique? Um, my second pick is, belongs to your Baltimore Ravens, or I guess your second team, Baltimore Ravens. I don't know. I messed that up. Anyways, um, my my pick is David and Jabo going to the Ravens. And the only reason being is because I think he's an absolute stud of a player. I think he's going to create so much havoc coming off the edge for you guys. And, I mean, he was Aiden Hutchins run, running mate down uh, up there in Michigan. Aiden Hutchinson can't say enough about him. Aiden Hutchinson is uh, a man that I would tend to agree with on football opinions, at least in regards to his teammates. Um, and he loves David and Jabo. Can't say enough good things about him. And I love the fact that the Ravens were able to get another steal in this draft. They just let the board come to them, and for whatever reason, it just happens, and they got David and Jabu. So now your, your top picks as a Raven, you know, are Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Lindebaum, and David and Jabu. Those are all, like, the first two, Lindebaum and Hamilton, are blue-chip talents. And then you have Njabo, who I believe has that blue-chip talent as well, um, but that injury that he sustained during his pro days what dropped him into that second round. Otherwise, Njabo's not even here, you know, to get picked. And I know, yeah. Uh, yeah. like you were saying earlier, that, you know, some people were worried about him in regards to, you know, him having that only one real year. Um, but I still I, – I think that there's enough tape of him, and especially the way the Ravens are uh, scheme their edge rushers, I think – I think he's just going to eat. I think he's just going to eat, 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 eat. And I think that's going to be quite ridiculous. I think it's going to be quite ridiculous for um, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, um, yeah, I mean, Ojabo, one of those really, in my opinion, first-round talents, even if you want to say, like, oh, he only had the one-year production, but – uh, you know, Michigan played some good teams during that one year, and he played well in those games. Um, and I, he's got the athleticism. He's a freak. Um, obviously, you hate to see the injury. Um, but I think nowadays those Achilles injuries are just not as severe as they were, uh, even less than half a decade ago. I mean, you talk about less than half a, a decade ago, and an Achilles rupture is still like a potential if not career ending career altering injury. And then now you see um, Cam Akers of the Rams come back in like six or seven months and just be fine. Like, and not that that's, you know, represents every situation, but it's just a marker of the uh, sports medicine industry and uh, just continuing to get more and more advanced and, uh, those injuries are just not nearly as much of a concern as they once were. Um, and so, I mean, clearly enough that he fell still in this draft, um, but I have genuine hope that uh, Ojabo is going to be a really nice player for us. And I mean, you know, what a Ravens pick. <laughs> like, I feel like we say that a lot, but that one really sticks out to me is like the Ravens taking a chance on a very high upside defender that fell for some reason that other people weren't wanting. Um and that they have the tools and 
the, you know, you look at their history of developing players like that. And, uh, you know, so many times they've done that and been able to uh, find uh, studs in, in the rough per se. So uh, I really like that pick as well. Um, and then for my third pick, uh, we go with the Titans again, but in the third round at number 86, they select Malik Willis quarterback, absolute steal in my opinion, um, value wise, uh, all the way down in the third round. I did not think Malik Willis was going to fall that far. I mean, obviously in Armok, we had him number two to the lions. Um, clearly the NFL viewed the quarterback class here very differently. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you see Kenny Pickett go in the first round, but other than that, uh, no quarterbacks taken in the second round at all. And then Malik Willis waiting until pick 86. Um, but as we kind of talked a little bit about before, I think with the whole uh, situation there, now you have Traylon Burks and then uh, learning from Tannehill, and then they're going to move on from him at some point. Uh, you have a good offensive line there. You have a good running game. You have a good head coach. Uh, I mean, you have a good defense. Great situation for Malik Willis to walk into. Um, and one of the best case scenarios for him that I didn't even really consider to be going into the draft. I didn't view the Titans as a quarterback needy team. Uh, but I mean, I guess at, at the third round, why not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that this was like a sneaky fit for them. Um, and like we talked about it earlier when we were dissecting the A.J. Brown thing, um, this is a future move. You know what I mean? This is for the future. Yeah. And, you know, you broke it down even better. This could be a relatively, you know, sort of immediate future, depending on what happens this year with Tannehill. If I'm being honest with you, Ryan Tannehill is the reason why they didn't beat the Cincinnati Bengals, besides yeah. the fact that Joey B is a god. And um, True. and Evan McPherson is fearless, you know. True. So, yeah, you got to start looking at like, hmm, we can't do anything about Tannehill for the next two years for sure, because otherwise we're going to Atlanta Falcons ourselves. And so, yeah, we need to do something about the quarterback situation inevitably. Malik Willis probably has the best potential. We're not going to be able to do anything with him for the next two years regardless. So... Let's sit him behind Tannehill, let's sit him in our locker room, see how he develops. And in two years, if, you know, he doesn't work out, then, yo, let's – no no fan's going to cry over a wasted third-round pick on Malik Willis. Not if right. he can potentially be your franchise quarterback. Or if he doesn't work out, he was just a third-round pick. You guys can get someone else later, you know, in yeah. the next two years. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a perfect move. Um, gives, gives the Titans some – you know, future maneuverability in regards to what they can do um, with their quarterback. And yeah, it'll eventually save them a lot of money because, you know, they'll probably be able to, you know, get rid of Tannehill and then ride on Malik Willis for another two years at a third round pick salary. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's going to be pretty nice. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, and I mean, especially after him falling so far, if I wasn't already, I'm a Malik Willis fan. I mean, and so I, you know, I'm definitely rooting for him to see what he does in his career. I hope he proves everyone wrong. Uh, Cause I think he really does have the tools and I, I understand the argument of uh, the rawness and also the level of competition. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, my other thing was always, if he went to the right situation, I think he could really turn out to be something and, 
I think this might be the right situation. So we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, great pick by the Titans there. Um, and then uh, what about your third and final pick Enrique? So my third pick is uh, it, it's kind of cheating because it's kind of a slash pick. Cause I'm gonna talk about two guys, but my third pick is Nicobe Dean going to the Eagles. And part of the reason why I like this pick so much is, you know, I, I love that the Eagles finally took Nicobe Dean. Um, I hated seeing him fall so fucking far, dude. That yeah. really broke my heart. Really, really broke my heart. I thought like, okay, he's going to go late first round. Okay. No late first round. I get that. Um, early second round, no early second round. I get that. And then, not going in the second round at all. I was devastated for my dude. I was devastated for my dude. Um, Jets fans and myself have been clamoring for Nicobe Dean. We love him so much. He was a leader on that Georgia defense. Um, obviously, the injury concerns were, was a huge factor in it. And I also heard that maybe he uh, declined a surgery, uh, and that might have that might have set some teams off as well. But the Eagles take him in the third round to pair him with Jordan Davis. And Jordan Davis already tweeted it out, like, hey, I got my brother with me. Like, yo, you're adding two guys from a championship defense on the same team in the same rookie class. And now, arguably, no lie, I already thought N'Kobe Dean played with a chip on his shoulder. Dude is going to play with a boulder on his shoulder. Like, he's he's going to go out and just ball out for the Eagles, not only because I think that's what he was going to do regardless of where he went because of the type of player he is, but because of, um, I just like, and I feel the same way about Jermaine Johnson, not to always talk about the jets. Um, when guys drop like that and you know, better than anybody, um, from Lamar, like when guys drop like that, it just adds some sort of saltiness and some sort of like flavor to where they go. And then wherever they go, like they really try to give it their all just like every single game, no matter who they're playing, because all those teams passed on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. you're adding him with Jordan Davis. Like, I just think that's, that's setting your defense up for years to come. I think Nicobe Dean is going to be great. Um, you know, God willing that, you know, nothing happens in regards to his injuries. Uh, I think that could be the only thing that uh, disrupts his play. But when you got big Jordan Davis in front of you, you know, some of them offensive linemen aren't going to be getting to linebackers anyways. And the way that, um, you know, Philly's defense is, especially when they got um, – who's that guy that they just added to uh, from Arizona? Um, oh, oh, my gosh. I know. I feel I oh, feel so bad. His name's on the uh, tip. Hassan and Reddick. he's a stud too. Yeah. Hassan oh, yeah, Hassan Reddick. You're right. So when, when you add, um, you know, N'Kobe Dean to a linebacker room like that, um, I just think it just works out. You know, I really, really do think it works out. You still got Flexer clocks on the team, you know, to teach Jordan Davis and to add that veteran leadership. Um, and, you know, I just think the Eagles have really set themselves up really, really nice this year. Um, yeah. You know, especially after doing that, um, that pre-draft on the Eagles, you know, we, we really got to take a look at, you know, what the Eagles needs were, and yeah, I, I didn't know what this Eagles team was going to do in this draft, but they really have blew it out of the park. AJ Brown, Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean the third. Like it's you can't hate on that whatsoever. So yeah, I think the Eagles killed it. And yeah, that was my last pick. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree with everything you said there. Um, I love the Jordan Davis pick as we talked about before. The fit is perfect with their history of defensive linemen. 
he loves Fletcher Cox growing up and, and now he's going to get to uh, learn from him and Nakobe Dean, uh, an amazing fit there, especially that far in the draft. I mean, what a steal in terms of the talent, like you said, as far as, or as long as his, uh, injuries can, uh, you know, or don't, uh, keep him down. He's going to be an absolute stud for them alongside Jordan Davis, alongside Hassan Reddick, alongside Fletcher Cox and all those guys. And, uh, Eagles, another team, honestly, that, uh, you could say had one of the best drafts on paper, um, and added the most talent and, uh, especially if you're considering AJ Brown too, I mean, just really nice off season so far for them. Um, so yeah. And, uh, I'm hoping Jalen hurts can uh, take the next step this year and, and convince everybody there in that building that, um, he's their future quarterback. Cause I, for whatever reason, I don't think that that's, uh, the case at the moment, even though I think it should be, but if he needs to prove it, I mean, now's the time. So Yeah. Um, and then we can go ahead and move on here uh, and go through the Denver Broncos and the New York Jets and their drafts real quick um, and just uh, list off those players and um, a couple of things happening with the teams as well. Uh, we'll start off with the Denver Broncos signing Melvin Gordon back to a one year uh, $2.5 million base contract that goes up to $5 million with incentives. Uh, great move right before the draft for the Broncos. I think that took away the need to uh, take a look at a depth running back there. Um, so you have that one-two punch uh, with him and uh, Javante. And I think uh, they're even going to be better under this new offense with Nathaniel Hackett um, than they were last year. And they were already one of the top uh, running you know, tandems in the, the NFL. So really excited to see that come back. Um, hopefully Melvin Gordon can kind of clean up some of those fumbles, but um, I mean, either way we're going to be, you know, there's the thing is when we didn't have Russell Wilson, Melvin Gordon's fumbles were like make or break because the games were so dang close all the time because we just didn't have that offensive production. And so you get like, you know, 50, um, yards down the field when most of your drives are three and outs that's a win. And you're like, Oh my God, we actually might score. And then it, he fumbles and it feels huge. But I think now that we have Russell Wilson and uh, there's more talent across the board, we're going to be able to move the ball better. Um, I think even if Melvin Gordon has some of those fumbles, they're not going to be nearly as critical just by nature of the offense being so much better um, than it was before. Um but uh, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that move, Enrique? Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I loved, I didn't think Malvin Gordon was going to come back to the Broncos. I love that I they didn't did either. bring him back because um, I, I did love the one two punch between him and Javante. Javante has such a, like a violent running style, and then Malvin Gordon almost like slides, you know, like it, yeah. it's very like it glides around the field. He looks very. Uh, he almost like low key reminds me of like literally like a horse when he runs. Like right. it just like it's just very smooth. Yeah. Um, so I love that. And yeah, like you said, it just it saves a draft pick, you know, because the Nick Bonito move, you know, if you don't have a Melvin Gordon, maybe that's a running back, you know, or the the Dulcich move, maybe that's a running back in the third round instead of a tight end. So yeah, um, ultimately, yeah, if you can take that need he's already familiar with the system 
I th- exactly what you said. The Nathaniel Hackett system is going to be a little bit different, but it's uh, oriented, you know, ground ground and pound kind of offense anyways. Um, and then, yeah, uh, if you fumble and you're up by three touchdowns because of Russell Wilson, fans aren't going to be as mad about that. So, yeah, I think it works out for everybody. Yeah, totally agree. And, uh, yeah, I mean, glad he's back in Denver. Um, and then we'll run through this draft real quick. So the Broncos' first pick came at number 64 in the second round. Uh, they picked Nick Bonito, uh, an edge out of Oklahoma. Really, really like this guy. Um, he's got a lot of burst. He's got a lot of, uh, you know, maneuverability and bend um, and speed. So he's he, definitely a speed rusher, not as much power. He has the ability to do some coverage as well off the edge, but I don't think he's going to be utilized that way. Um, and honestly, he kind of reminds me a lot of Von Miller. Um, and I, I, something I was thinking about, I was like, I wish as much as I love having Randy Gregory, how cool would it have been kind of a cherry on top if we uh, had brought Vaughn back and then picked Nick Bonito um, and they're very similar players and he would have been able to learn from uh, a franchise legend uh, almost in the same way that, uh, you know, although DeMarcus Ware was a different type of rusher when DeMarcus Ware came in, uh, he was very much that, um, you know, mentor to Vaughn Miller and uh, set him on his path. Um, But yeah, I mean, great pick either way. I really like that pick. And then our second pick here in the third round, number 80, uh, Greg Dulcich, tight end out of UCLA. Uh, huge, huge guy. He's like 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, but he's Damn. like really fast. Yeah, I know. It's kind of absurd. Um, he, he's pretty thin. Um, so you do wonder about potentially maybe some injury uh, concerns down the road, but I don't think he dealt with a lot of that at UCLA. Um, but he is... Uh, relatively kind of complete tight end. He's better at pass catching than he is blocking, but uh, decent at both. And uh, we definitely needed some help there after trading away Noah Fant. Really liked that pick as well. Um, in the fourth round, we picked Damari Mathis, cornerback out of Pitt. Love, love, love this pick. He is super athletic and uh, plays with a lot of drive and a lot of passion. Um, he hits guys really hard. Uh, kind of a Kareem Jackson, like likes to uh, establish himself in the game by hitting hard and by making himself uh, felt. Um, and so I, I think he's going to be a really nice pick for us. And then uh, Ioma Uwazurike, defensive tackle out of Iowa, or I'm sorry, Iowa State, um, in the fourth round, number 116. I am a huge fan of this guy from what I've seen. Um, I, he is a little bit undersized as a defensive tackle, but he plays with a ton of drive and uh, passion, kind of like Mathis. Um, and he was like a five or six year starter in college. So he's a little bit of an older guy. He's, I mean, 24. So when you say old or older, it's, you know, in NFL years. But um, yeah, I think he's going to be a great pick. He's probably going to be depth, um, but by the sounds of it, they want to be able to rotate a lot, uh, that defensive line, and keep people fresh. Um, And so he's going to be a huge piece for us. And he moved all across the line at Iowa State and uh, should be able to do so in the NFL as well. So a lot of versatility there. Um, And then Delarin Turner Turner Yell, a safety out of Oklahoma um, in the fifth round. He seems like he's going to be mostly a depth and um, special teams type of guy. Uh, which I love to see because we really need some help on special teams. 
Uh, also in the fifth round, Montreal Washington wide receiver out of Samford. He looks to be our main returner. He's a super uh, speedy, quick, shifty guy. I was watching some of his highlights and returning kicks, and he's kind of absurd. He, he reminds me actually of um, uh, Deshaun Jackson when he used to mm. return kicks more often, and that just very quick, shifty nature where he would kind of let things come to him and find the holes and just jump into a big pile that you think he's not going to come out of, and then he comes sprinting out the other side. You're like, dang. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to see if he uh, pans out there. And then uh, Luke Wattenberg, uh, an inside offensive lineman out of Washington, played primarily center. Uh, he looks like he's going to be brought in for competition against Luke, or I'm sorry, um, Cushenberry, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, um, who is our current center, who has just, he hasn't been bad and he got better last year than he was the previous year, uh, but he's been underwhelming coming out of LSU. We got him in, either the second or third round. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that Wattenberg is going to come and replace him. Um, but I think the idea is more so to just give somebody in that room for Cushenberry to uh, be pushed by um, and hopefully make him better. So we'll see how that works out. Um, and then next pick in the sixth round is Matt Henningsen, defensive tackle out of Wisconsin. Um, he's a bigger guy, plays with a lot of power, not super duper athletic, um, but he knows how to get some pressure. Um, and so I'm and excited to, uh, see him. And then he also, uh, funny little note, I was, uh, looking up all these guys' like Twitter accounts so I could follow them. And, uh, Matt Henningsen, after he got drafted, changed his picture to a, uh, picture of himself when he was like a little, little kid wearing a Champ Bailey Jersey. So, I mean, you know, me. Uh, he's instantly one of my favorite players on the roster already. Right. Uh, so yeah, guy, I really hope he works out for us. Going to be another rotational piece there. And then uh, finally in the seventh round, we have Fayon Hicks, a cornerback out of Wisconsin. Uh, I like this guy as well. Teammate of Matt Henningsen uh, plays hard, plays with a lot of effort. Um, he's still pretty raw and I, I would like to see more like, ball skills out of him but he seems to be pretty good at like mirroring uh the wide receivers and keeping up um i think he just needs to work on his physicality and kind of getting involved in the play more um but at, at worst special themes so yeah um i mean on paper i'm pretty pretty dang satisfied with this broncos draft i think we filled up a lot of positions of need uh, the only thing I really would have wanted to see somewhere along the line was an offensive tackle. Um, even if you're, you know, replacing maybe one of those fifth round picks. Um, but I mean, looking at these players, it's like, I, I really like who we picked. So I would almost not rather have some other offensive tackle over them, um, at least on paper. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty satisfied. So yeah. And then how about the uh, New York Jets there, Enrique? Um, so, I mean, w besides just the draft coming up, nothing too crazy, um, has happened besides, uh, like in random New York Jets news. Um, I mean, we already covered the Quinn and Williams thing. Um, I did watch the introductory press conference of the first round picks and it was, it was everything you want to hear from your first round picks, you know, just very humble, hungry guys feel very blessed and opportunistic, um, 
to play in New York and to play for the Jets and it helped turn the team around, um, you know, and just just makes me that more excited um, to talk about the draft picks. Um, so, you know, like we went over them, uh, first uh, round, fourth pick overall, Sauce Gardner, cornerback Cincinnati. Um, I mean, can't say enough about Sauce. I just think I think he's really going to be an elite corner, um, you know, and when you get an opportunity to draft someone that's going to be the franchise cornerstone of your secondary, you've got to take the opportunity to do that, um, especially when you have a defensive-minded um, coach. It's even better. So Robert Sala is really going to know, um, you know, because Robert Sala plays uh, the kind of that Pete Carroll system. And so you get a lot of uh, zone in there, but, you know, Sauce can man up when we do need him for, to man up. Um, so, yeah, I just think he, he truly is just an elite corner and he's going to be able to do everything that the Jets need him to do. Um, and then we have Garrett Wilson, you know, 10th overall pick, first round, wide receiver, Ohio State. Um, just – you know, if 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 you love just polished wide receivers, then Garrett Wilson's the guy. Um, otherwise, you know, you're looking at Drake London for his body and his catch radius and things like that. But as far as like a wide receiver, um, you know, Garrett Wilson's the guy. He, uh, funny little note, they asked him, you know, who he modeled his game after. And, you know, the player he said was um, – a throwback for me. I haven't heard this guy's name in a long time. Um, he said Stevie Johnson from the Bills. Oh wow! He said, that, "Yeah, he said he models game after Stevie Johnson." Which um, when Stevie Johnson, and if you don't know about Stevie Johnson, I understand. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people that do anymore. But when Stevie Johnson was in his prime with the Bills, like dude was like top ten wide receiver. Dude was really really good. Um, yeah. and you know just ultimate playmaker. I love Stevie Johnson because he wore a 13. He played for the Bills. Um, and I've always had like a little love love affair with the Bills, even though they might have a division rival. Um, but he was super tatted. And so you could just – and he was always like swaggy. He always had like uh, different armbands or arm sleeves or different cleats. Um, and then he like started doing the Joker thing, um, you know. So, yeah, Stevie Johnson really is uh, – yeah, he's he was a throwback player and – you know, the fact that Garrett Wilson said that he modeled his game after him. I was like, dude, I love his Stevie Johnson. At the very least, Stevie Johnson's a dog, you know, so. Yeah, I, I love, love that. And then, um, you know, to wrap up the first round, 26 overall, Jermaine Johnson, edge is coming out of Florida State. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, super hardworking guy. Um, he was on the Netflix show, uh, Last Chance You, you know, so to any of the listeners that got uh, Netflix that want to go ch- check out my boy, Jermaine Johnson, he's on uh, last chance you on Netflix um, who he also said that the director was willing to give him a bigger role in the show, but he declined the opportunity for a bigger role because, and these are his words, not mine. He said, I'm not no actor. I'm a ball player. So like if that, if that doesn't make you hyped as a Jets fan or as a football fan, regardless that this man could have, you know, and like Jermaine Johnson got some swag to him. You know what I mean? Like he's a he's a he's a swaggy kid for sure. So, um, you know, he he would have eaten up that attention, and you know, I'm sure he'd be well on his way doing something else. But he said he wants the ball. He said he's a ball player, and he he all three of our first round picks said you know the same message. Like it's all about ball. It's all about being here for the Jets, and I love to hear it. Um, so ecstatic that we're able to trade back up 
And like I mentioned earlier, you know, Joey D and um, Robert Sala were on the phone every single pick from 15 to 26 trying to trade back up to get this guy. Um, you know, so we were trying to we talked to 10, 11 different teams to try to get this one player. And so if that doesn't tell you how much Robert Sala believes in him and how much Joe Douglas believes in him, um, I'm not sure what does. And yeah, him playing in that wide nine is going to be perfect. Um, then we got Brees Hall in the second round, 36 overall, uh, running back out Iowa State. You know, uh, I, I haven't watched a lot of uh, film on Brees Hall. I started watching a little bit last night uh, before bed, um, but he's you know, the consensus number one running back in the draft. We were able to trade up and grab him um, to add to the Michael Carter backfield, which him and Michael Carter giving us a nice one-two punch um, I, with two very young players, where with the Broncos, Melvin Gordon's a little bit older, Javante's a little bit younger, so you're not going to have Melvin Gordon as longer or yeah. as long. But with these two guys, they're about a year apart, both young, both ready to go. So the Jets' uh, running back room looks perfect with everyone that we got. Um, and then our third round pick, and this is one of my favorite picks, uh, Jeremy Rucker, tight end, Ohio State. So not only are we getting Garrett Wilson's teammate, but Jeremy Rucker, uh, growing up, lifelong Jets fan, his dad literally – asked the Jets at the Senior Bowl to draft his son because we're Jets fans. Like, we're Jets fans. We're all Jets fans. Jeremy Rucker, Jets fan, growing up. I love um, and so to see him go to Ohio State, not only is he getting drafted with his teammate, but he's getting drafted by his kid favorite team. His dad was literally crying. Boy was wearing a green suit. Like, he, he was made to be a Jet. So welcome, Jeremy Rucker. Love, love to have you on the team. Um, then we went. In the fourth round, at pick 111, Max Mitchell, offensive tackle out of Louisiana. Uh, Max Mitchell, you know, played all along the offensive line, played some snaps at tackle, played some snaps at guard, and took some snaps at center. Um, so he's just a valuable addition to our, fence, our offensive line room, just to give us some depth, some rotation, you know, in case guys get hurt. Um, and then we got Michael Clemens uh, at 117 in the fourth round, defensive end, Texas A&M. Um, Michael Clemens just plays with a lot of speed and nastiness. And, you know, just to add another rotation guy to our defensive line room, I'll take it, especially another uh, nasty speed guy with, you know, tons of tenacity and tons of aggressiveness, tons of explosiveness coming off the edge is what um, Robert Sala, you know, said about him just tons of explosiveness coming off the edge um and you know we we have some pretty high draft picks you know we didn't we obviously made some trades to get back into the first round and move up for Brees, but um you know we don't have any we didn't draft any anybody else um after the fourth round so i expect all these guys to stick with the team i expect all these guys to you know especially you know the top five picks um you know, to contribute almost immediately. Um, and yeah, these are huge weapons for Zach Wilson, you know, as far as our tight end or running back on a right receiver. And I just felt like this was the perfect balance um, of offense and defense. And, you know, even not being a biased Jets fan, I feel like the Jets killed every single one of their picks this year. Yeah. 
like all three first round picks were fantastic. I thought you got a great value with Jermaine Johnson. And then my favorite pick of the entire uh, draft class is that Brees Hall pick. And you get that one-two punch with Michael Carter, Brees Hall, like you said, in my opinion, uh, the best running back uh, in this draft altogether, um, which, I mean, is certainly debatable. Uh, You had a a few different guys with just different skill sets. Um, But when you talk about like Kenneth Walker, a little bit of a bigger guy, but I think Brees Hall in terms of just being an all around running back, he was my favorite. And uh, in my opinion, the best in the class. And then I love that story about Jeremy Ruckert being a Jets fan. I had no clue about that, but that's super sick. He was wearing a green uh, suit and everything. That's so awesome. Um, But yeah. And then, so with that, we can go ahead and move on and talk about the NBA playoffs real quick. Uh, We can go through the first round, what we thought was going to happen, what they are, and then uh, the second round coming up here. Um, So to start off, we'll go through the West. Uh, We got the Suns versus the Pelicans. This ended up uh, being resolved in six games, going four to two of the Suns winning. And we predicted it being the Suns in five. So it took one extra game. The Pelicans uh, put up a fight. And I mean, this team, they don't have Zion or Zion. um, And hopefully he'll be back next year. And that may make them a real, real competitor. Um, But they put up a dang fight. uh, And you love to see CJ McCollum going off. You love to see Brandon Ingram in his first playoff series absolutely going off um, and showing that he is very much the future of that franchise. He can do it in the playoffs. He shows up in those moments. I love that shit. Um, and I mean, even when Zion's here, am I wrong in thinking that, uh, I mean, I guess CJ McCollum is your leader now, but I think Brandon Ingram is like the alpha of the the Pelicans team, or he's going to be. I think he just has that aura of like he at some point he's going to develop into like a premier franchise player. Um, and he's certainly on his way. Yeah, I agree. I agree to the fullest. I think although, you know, Zion was like the first overall pick and he gets all the hype and he's the big guy. Um, yeah, I think it's Brandon Ingram's team. I think CJ is your leader as far as like being the veteran guy, being the guy yeah. that you know, is more established in the league. But, yeah, I think it's Brandon Egram's team. Um, and then, yeah, I almost want to say Zion's like Brandon Egram's team, uh, like a sidekick, you know, like the Robin to Ingram's Batman. And um, when Ingram left the Lakers, um, that he was the one piece I really did not want to trade away. He was the one thing that I did not want to trade away. Trade away Lonzo, trade away everybody else to get AD, but he, Brandon Egram. And they traded him too. So, and wise if you're the Pelicans, because look what he's developed into. Because, yeah, yeah. he showed up in the biggest stage um, and he put up a motherfucking fight against those Suns, man. Every time I watched that game, as I thought it was going to be, if it wasn't uh, Suns at five and the Pelicans getting like the one random win, I thought it could have been sweet, if I'm being honest with you. I, I was like, there's no way the Pelicans are going to match up against the Suns. Dude, they put up a fight. And, I mean, some of that is because D-Book's um, – did D-Book come back the rest of the series? Or was he just hurt the one-two games? Uh, I think he came back for – it was either the last game or the last two. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Um, but still, the Pelicans, kudos to them. Kudos to Brandon Ingram. Kudos to CJ McCollum. Um, yeah, just they put up a fight. I was It was a very interesting series. 
Yeah, I agree. And it was more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. I, I really, I mean, that was me underestimating uh, their team and they have, or they have more players than I thought they did. I'm struggling to think of, I want to say it's Burt Jones. I believe his number is five, um, but he is a really, really great defender. If he's not a rookie, he's like a second year player somebody that was totally not on my radar. I'm going to be honest with you because I just don't watch the Pelicans that often. Um, But he was fantastic in this series and went toe to toe uh, with that Suns team and and was really a big piece uh, for them defensively. Uh, Or I think it's Herb Jones. I think it's Herb Jones. I should really know this, but yeah, anyways. Uh, But yeah, they have more players than I thought they did. And uh, they really showed up in this series and, uh, I would be really interested to see them next year fully healthy uh, once Zion gets back. And, uh, yeah, uh, definitely good series there. Sun's moving on as expected. And then we move on to the Mavs versus the Jazz. Uh, ended up being 4-2 to two Mavs win. We predicted it being if, uh, depending on, because initially uh, when we made the predictions episode, uh, that Luca was out with a hammy or no, I'm sorry, a calf injury. And we weren't sure how long he was going to be out. Um, so we predicted uh, if the Mavs get Luca back at some point in the series, Mavs in six, uh, and then without him jazz in seven um, that Mavs in six with Luca ended up being exactly what happened. Um, and to be honest with you, with the jazz, the way they played uh, the Mavs would have won the series either way. Uh, I think it obviously would have gone to seven, but I think the Mavs would have took it uh, because the Jazz just could not keep up uh, defensively. They had the offense, uh, but the Mavs just, uh, even then they outscored them. And the Jazz, the only good defender they have on their team is Gobert. And I mean, I you know, I, I will say I don't like the Jazz, but I do have to put my two cents in on the whole, like, People are blaming Gobert, and I, I just don't understand how you can watch these games and see that, like, at all, because Gobert is the only good defender on that team. So what ends up happening is he always has to overhelp uh, because, like, if you just leave Donovan Mitchell one-on-one with any of the Mavs players or, you know, go for any of Bogdanovich, um, Jordan Clarkson, any of those guys – they're going to get absolutely washed by any of the mass players pretty much. So like, especially Spencer Dinwiddie and even without Luca being there, I think uh, Brunson had a huge series. So like Gobert has to go over help. And then what happens is they make the extra pass, they get a three or they make another pass and there's just not enough movement on the rest of that jazz defense to keep up. So Gobert has to go and try and get back to that corner three after defending the paint, and he just can't do it, and that's somehow Gobert's fault. And it's like yeah, okay, and, yeah, and I definitely agree with that. I, I the because I didn't want I only watched two games of the series, and I wish I would have been able to watch more. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely what I saw. The the two games that I watched was there were just an overwhelming like notion of. Mm-hmm the Jazz just don't have enough to do it. Like, defensively, uh, offensively, they kind of kept up, but they just just felt, felt like they – at the end, they were just going to go flat. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah when, when Luka came back, uh, you know, things were a bit different. And, 
I'm so glad that the Mavs won because I've wanted the Mavs to get a little bit further in the playoffs since like Luca was a thing. And I'm just glad that they're finally moving on. So I, can, I think I saw something where it's, it was literally like 2011 or 2012 since they've won a playoff series. Dang, I, for real? I didn't realize that. I didn't realize it had been as long. I might be off on the specific year, but it was like a lot longer than I thought it had been since the Mavs had uh, progressed. But I guess it makes sense that like sends Dirk. Yeah. Which he, uh, I can't remember when he retired. Was that like 2011 or 2012? That'd be right around then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say, yeah, like 20. I think it was Luca's first year. I think Dirk retired that same year. Luca's first year? Oh, wow. That's a lot later than I thought. Yeah. Well, because Luca, well, we're in 2022, right? Luca's been playing for what, four years? Yeah. He was like 2018, 20, something like that, 2017. I just thought they played together. I don't know. Well, but I mean, the point stands either way. Is it, it's been longer than we thought since the uh, Mavs have progressed. But Luca is Luca. He's here. He's arrived, and the Mavs are moving on. Exactly. Amen. Uh, amen. <laughs> and uh, so, next series here. This one's going to get a little bit personal for me, unfortunately. But the Warriors versus Nuggets ended up being four and one. Uh, we thought it was going to be Warriors in six, and exactly how I thought this was going to play out. It played out um, apart from, I thought the nuggets would be able to put up one more game in defense. Um, and for a second there, it looked like we were just going to get swept. Um, the warriors are abundantly healthy. They have their superstars. Um, Steph was, didn't even miss a beat. Like he came off the bench the first couple games um, and Jordan Poole just absolutely wrecked exactly how I thought he would. Um, because the Nuggets just lack the defensive guard, like in terms of the perimeter, they lack the defensive firepower. And then the main problem ended up being because we lack the uh, defensive firepower on the perimeter, Jokic being one of the only positive defenders we do have, and also being the center, when you're defending a pick and roll, he had to come up and his choices are, you can either go into drop coverage and give Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, or Clay Thompson, uh, or, you know, Wiggins, or hell, even Draymond can hit the occasional three, like literally any of them, the chance for a wide open three. Or you can have Jokic come up to the perimeter, try to defend them, and then he gets blown by because he's a seven-foot center against a six-foot-two guard. So, and, and then, of course, you have all the people coming out of the woodwork saying, look, Jokic is an awful defender, and you're like, no. It's it's actually kind of similar in a way to the Gobert situation, except Gobert is like a completely different galaxy of defender than Jokic is. But the point stands is like the personnel and the overall defense of a team matters more than the individual defense of a player because if you have bad defense around one good defensive player – they have to overcompensate, which makes them bad as well. And so in this series, the Warriors, because we didn't have the personnel to defend that specific thing, they pretty much just like, you know, when you go on 2K and you can just abuse the pick and roll and just completely (laughs) destroy everyone. That's exactly what they did to us because they had so many options coming off of that and we had nothing to stop it the entire series. 
Um, and in game five, like the only thing I will say is I'm extremely proud of my nuggets because at, after going three down uh, three zero to the Warriors, I mean, it was pretty clear we were not going to win the series. And I thought we were straight up just going to get swept. Um, but we came out in game five and we fought and we won a game and we took it. And so like, it, that was the hardest I've seen them play like pretty much the entire year. Um, and so like, I, you know, I am proud of them for that. And it's nice to not go out being swept just for that pride aspect of it, you know? Um, but in the Warriors definitely deserve to move on. Um, but this was just a worst case scenario matchup, uh, with the Nuggets and the Warriors and the Warriors had everything they needed to beat the Nuggets and the Nuggets didn't have what they needed. Um, and I think it's a lot different if you start to see, like, if you talk about, you know, a Nuggets versus a Mavs series or something like that, um, like it, it's a whole different thing just because of the personnel. Uh, but I mean, the Nuggets wouldn't have gone anywhere this year anyways, just because we're, we came into the series missing MPJ and Jamal and, it is what it is. Um, hopefully they can come back next year healthy and um, show that they are, in fact, competitors, even though people want to write them off as not being so. Um, but then the next series here is the Grizzlies versus Tim's really good series. Um, and then that was four to two. The Grizzlies ended up taking it. We thought it was going to be Grizz in five. Um, so one more game added there. Uh, Tim's put up a fight. But at the same time, they kind of didn't. Cat was not wonderful this series. He had some good games and then didn't show up in some of them, unfortunately. Um, and I, I think the Tims need more playoff experience. I think the Grizzlies are a little bit deeper. But and interestingly, actually, too, what I thought was most uh, telling in this series was the Grizzlies have not even lost really a step since the regular season. Like I thought, I genuinely thought the Grizzlies would struggle because they're so young, just not having the playoff experience. And uh, maybe that could change when they go up against the Warriors, which actually I think is on right now. Um, but, you know, because that's a clearly a very different uh, opponent than the Timberwolves in terms of playoff experience. Um, but yeah, they steamrolled. I mean, they looked pretty much just as good. I would say jaw kind of struggled um, just because of the personnel and they very much had his number in terms of they could pack the paint um, and kind of coagulate around where he went. Um, but that also left open all of his teammates uh, who had really good series uh, between, you know, Desmond Bain and uh, Bain. Jaron Jackson didn't have the greatest series, but there was a few of those uh, Grizzlies players that really showed up through the series and, um, carried them. Yeah, this was one of my favorite series to watch. I watched three of these games. Um, I try to watch as many as I could of this series because this was the one that was more interesting to me. Um, I thought Anthony Edwards was great. Um, you know, I thought he showed like real, real flashes of like why they took him number one overall. And like that, I, I think next year Anthony Edwards is going to be a problem. Um, yeah. exactly. I, I feel the same way about Cat. I felt like Cat came out on some weird ass energy too. Like he was like super aggressive some nights and like just like there were some nights where dude couldn't miss. Like he was shooting threes. Like I was like, damn, Cat is like balling out. And then the next game, it was like he was a totally different player. And um, 
Yeah, I, I think that might come with some more playoff experience. Um, D'Lo, I thought D'Lo was pretty solid throughout the whole series. I, I can't complain too much about D'Lo. Um, you know, I, I thought the series was going to be more so, like, <clears throat> at least for me, focusing on Anthony Edwards, seeing if Anthony Edwards was going to develop, seeing if Cat was going to put the team on his back or not. Um, so D'Lo wasn't really, like, a big storyline in this one for me. So he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. Um yeah, and then John Morant definitely had his struggles. Desmond Bain went the fuck off every single game I watched. I cannot believe that that guy's not more talked about because dude is a baller. Um, and, yeah, I think the Grizz are just – like, they just still got the momentum from the regular season. They're just moving on in. Well, I definitely got to see um, what the Warriors series is going to look like for them. But, yeah, they, they look pretty good. Um, uh, T-Wolves are going to have to get them – Get them again next year. But, yeah, Grizz look good. I, I hope they can give the Warriors a run for their money because I fucking hate when the Warriors are winning and they're good, they're, like, the the most easy team to hate. Like, like Dude, Steph Curry. You don't even like, have to yeah. tell me about it. Like, <laughs> like, they're, like, shimmying. And, like, it just – like, besides Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole, I like, I like those two guys, but – God, do I hate to see them all happy. Like, geez. And then their fans are like the same way. It's just, oh, I just, oh. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm right there with you. And yeah, I mean, especially after the series, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to even dislike them because I really like them as people. Like, I have a lot of respect for Draymond. I have a lot of respect for Steph and his uh, journey as a player. Um, and the way he's literally changed the league, like it's, you know, I mean, he's in contest for top five best players of all time, just because of his impact, um, in my opinion, but in, in like Clay Thompson too, great person, great player. Um, there's a lot to love there, but by God, it's just, it's one of those things where they're just so good that you just hate it. It just like makes you sad. Like there are very few times, especially in the playoffs where I will ever actually turn off my team's games in the middle of them. But like, I just, I could not watch the end of the second and third uh, losses to the Warriors during the series, because it was just painful, bro. Like they're so joyful about it. It's terrible. I, <laughs> but and we just yeah. keep shooting threes. Like, and you're like, don't make that three. Makes that three. Don't make that three. Yeah, it's like that uh, Simpsons meme where it's like, "Stop, stop! He's already dead." Exactly. They just, like, just keep punching him. I'm like, bro, just please. But yeah, like, yeah, I don't like the Warriors. Um, but with that said, we will move on to the Eastern Conference and uh, recap the first round there, uh, starting with the Heat and the Hawks. Ended up being four to one. We thought it was going to be Heat and six. Um, so the Hawks actually did not put up as much of a fight as we thought that they would. And um, honestly, I think that comes mostly down to Trey Young. He struggled mightily in this series. I think the Heat just have enough defense to take him out. And uh, he was never really able to overcome that. And then on top of that, I do think that Trey genuinely needs to improve on his defense, uh, even if it's just improving on because he doesn't have the physicality to be a physical defender. So even if he can just improve on his hands and being active 
or just getting in front of people, learning how to um, take fouls and things like that. Like he, because right now he just stands there and he doesn't do anything. And so, especially in the playoffs, uh, teams that can defend everything uh, around him, um, they, they can just pick on Trey and uh, there's not a whole lot that their team can do about it. And that's pretty much what happened in this series. Um, but, and then especially when he's not providing the offensive presence, it's one thing if he's being ice tray on the other side of the court, but when he's struggling on offense and not trying on defense, uh, it, it's not a good look for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm just a bad matchup for the Hawks in general. They did steal one game at least. Um, so they weren't embarrassed, but uh, he clearly the better team here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely, and everybody knows I'm, I'm about as big ice tray fan as there is. And yeah, he definitely, definitely didn't show up in the series. Um, but I mean, ultimately they literally got that one win off of that last minute floater from him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I agree. Like he is like literally the size of a child almost. He's a quite small person, especially in uh, NBA terms. Like he's the physicality, uh, is not being matched there. And then we have Bam Adebayo fucking, like, covering you. Um, it's going to be super tough. Um, I also think that maybe Atlanta needs to figure out something else as far as another offensive um, central point, you know, um, yeah. whether that's a trade or, you know, whatever is going to happen, um, you know, in the off season. But, uh, yeah, like, yeah, the Heat just steamrolled them. The Heat always looked like the more dominant team. There wasn't really a time where I felt like, even in the the Hawks win, like I felt like honestly the Heat played down to the Hawks in that loss. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but shout out Ice Trey. Let's hope he can bounce back next year and the Hawks can do something. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I I think really what they need the most is some extra guard defense. Like if you can put defenders around Trey and try to limit that impact as much as possible and work around switches. And then if he can get better with his hands and everything, I think that's like the way that they can compete uh, with this core. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely need more defense injected in and Trey needs to improve on that end. But I mean, offensively, they've got the pieces. It certainly didn't help them that they were losing or they lost um, Clint. Capella for I think like two games. It wasn't the whole series, but because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I I think he got injured in the play-in game, right? Or was it the first game of this series? Do you remember? Um, no, I think it was the first game of the series. I mean, either way, yeah. But yeah, either way. Um, yeah. So good series there. Uh, Heat was the better team. Hawks can improve in the off season and uh hopefully actually compete they just one of those teams that like very dependent on matchups and this was a bad matchup um and he just had the better defense they were going to be able to take care of the hawks there um and jimmy butler stepping up and having a good series as well i mean you talk about jimmy butler you can say whatever you want about jimmy butler um and his personality or if he's toxic with teammates or even his some of his uh, regular season performances, and people say he's not like that player. You get into the playoffs, and he does the same thing every single time, which is ball the hell out. And uh, he showed that again in this Hawks series. Uh, 
he's just he's just one of those players. Like he, there are players that get better in the playoffs. There are players that get worse in the playoffs. I mean, you think about um, actually a perfect example. Not to crap on my own guy, but Aaron Gordon on the Nuggets. He is a player that shies away from the moment. Um, he he's had some clutch shots here and there, and uh, like I've been proud of him for those, but he uh struggles in the playoffs and he genuinely is one of those players that like he gets worse in the playoffs and i think the moment is too large for him um and jimmy butler is the opposite of that um and yeah that's one one of the reasons why i like that dude so much but uh just took over and then uh sixers versus raptors our next series here ended in four to two uh, we thought it was going to be Sixers and seven at first. It looked like the Raptors might even get swept, uh, but then they did come back um, despite a Scotty Barnes injury too. And he did come back later in the series. Uh, luckily we're glad to see him not get like a long-term injury. Um, and he's the rookie of the year as well. But uh, yeah, this series ended up how we thought it would. Uh, Sixers won eventually just too much talent. Uh, but the Raptors uh, did put up a good fight there. Yeah, I mean, I, there was times where I really was, like, so confused on how it wasn't a sweep because there was times where the 76ers just looked so dominant against the Raptors that I was like, I don't even – I don't know how this is even fair sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest – the biggest um, – Takeaway is going to be um, Jaw and Bead, right? Like he's because he's hurt now, so um, that's yeah. that's all I'm waiting to see is how that's going to affect the next series for the 76ers. Yeah, yeah. In the last game, he suffered an orbital fracture and concussion, um, so he's definitely going to miss time in the Heat series. I don't know how long that could legitimately be the downfall of the Sixers because I don't know that uh, with James Harden, he really has not like been super amazing in the playoffs thus far. Um, So if he doesn't show up, then you're relying on Tyrese Maxey, Danny Green, and Tobias Harris to get you the offense um, while Joel Embiid recovers. And I I wouldn't be surprised to see like mask Joel back. Like, I just don't know how many games, like, cause there's obviously some sort of minimum um, before dude can come back and you don't want him to, like risk his long-term health if that's a, a risk especially with a uh, orbital fracture right around your eye so we'll just have to see how uh, you know severe that is and how much time he'll miss but if he misses the whole series worth of time it's very very possible that the uh, Sixers goes down go down in the next round um, yes yeah if he misses like more than more than two games it's going to be really tough yeah, I agree. Um, and then our next series here, Bucks versus Bills, or I'm sorry, Bucks versus Bulls, um, and it ended up being four to one. We thought it was going to be a sweep, a Bucks sweep, um, but the Bulls were able to take one game. Um, so yeah, good for them. Pretty much what we thought in the series, just two different levels of team. Um, the Bulls are also very unhealthy at the moment um, and missing a few of their star players, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you still had Zach Levine, you had DeMar DeRozan, uh, you still had, um, oh my gosh, the center that uh, from the Magic that came over, Nikola Vuce- Vucevic. And, um, yeah, Vucevic. Yeah, I mean, 
they still had some of their talent, but between Caruso being gone, Lonzo being gone, that's a still a solid part of that uh, core. And I, I don't know that they would have competed with this Bulls team, uh, even healthy, to be honest with you, at least this first year. I do think that maybe after another year, they can start to meld more because um, this is a brand new core together. So I don't know. We'll have to see how they develop or if that's even going to be a long-term thing because they did look good initially in the season, um, but health really tore them down um, coming in the playoffs here. And um, yeah, the Bucks move on there. And my favorite series of the entire playoffs, uh, the Celtics versus the Nets. The Celtics went 4-0 and sweeping the Nets. Uh, we thought this was going to be Celtics in seven because who didn't? Um, but yeah, I mean, the Nets just absolutely were not on the same wave, wavelength as the Celtics. And I mean, we, we talked about the Celtics and you seeing them live and they are just on an absolute roll right now. Uh, for a while, they had so many questions about how their team melded together and uh, if they could, that core could compete realistically. Um, but they look like an absolute buzzsaw at the moment. And uh, to make Kevin Durant look human for a second, I mean, that's quite the feat. And Kyrie did not look great in this series. Uh, and it very much exposed the lack of depth on the Nets team, I would say, as well. Um, Absolutely. Despite, like, they have a lot of names, but it just wasn't there when they needed it. Um, and they – really relied on Kevin Durant and Kyrie to get the the scoring going and they just didn't. And then Kyrie too. I mean, you talk about him on defense. I, I, at least he tries and he does do stuff with his hands and he attempts to get in there. Uh, but he, his weakness has always been defense. And I think that the Celtics really took advantage of that in this series as well. Um, and yeah. I just really do think that Jason Tatum is like, He's establishing, like, after however far they go, um, Jason Tatum's going to be, like, a star. Like, I know he was a star, but he's going to be, like, a superstar. Like, he's he's full of, like, he's full of, full of fully developing, geez, fully developing, like, everything that you need for the public to, like, consider you as a superstar. Like, he just swept KD and Kyrie who, I mean, before the year, everyone was talking Lakers and Nets were going to be in the finals. The Lakers didn't even make the playoffs, RIP. And then the Nets literally just got swept. So, yeah. And I don't know if that's just a, a show of, like, the changing of the guard. I don't think KD's, like, that far that far down. Like, I don't think he's digressed or anything. I just think he had a bad series. Um Kyrie, though, uh, I'm so happy to see Kyrie lose. I'm so happy to see Kyrie Irving get swept like that. Seeing how frustrated he was getting, like, every single game I watched, he, you could just visibly see it on his face, how frustrated he was. Um, you know, the Celtics just had the answer to everything for the Nets. The, they Like, Blake Griffin was out there playing his ass off, and I respect – I love Blake Griffin, but if Blake Griffin is the one that's, like – I think there was literally a point in one of the games I was watching where Blake Griffin hit like four threes in a row and he was like there. Yeah, dude, it was crazy, dude. And he was their offensive spark while KD was on the court with him. It was just, it was just, it was crazy to me. Um, 
yeah, so I I love to see Kyrie lose, especially after uh him talking shit about LeBron all these years. Um and yeah, I mean I'm not a KD hater, but you know, he did went it and joined the Warriors, so I don't really love him either. But yeah, yeah. shout out to the Celtics. Yeah, no, shout out to the Celtics, and uh, I will certainly take that role of KD hater for you. Um, I, I'm i not a hater, but I will say, like, I have very much respect for Kevin Durant as a player, um, and he's, you know, very much a unicorn, one of the best players of all time. Um, but I do also think he made some questionable decisions, and I also took a little bit of joy in the fact that uh, after the sweep, Kevin Durant did his usual thing and went on to social media uh, on his own accounts this time, though, at least. Oh, um, and he, <laughs> yeah. And he was all butthurt and tweeting about, uh, uh, you know, like Chuck uh, Barkley on the inside the NBA and that show. And they were talking about him uh, like just not being because it's a good point. Chuck was talking about him not driving the bus when it comes to a team and not being like the leader of a championship team and he hasn't been and you know Steph was the leader of those championship teams uh with the Warriors he could not get it done in Oklahoma City and so far he hasn't gotten it done with the Nets and when he really really needed to step up a step up and be that bus driver I mean you think about like how salty he is that people still call LeBron the best player in the world and how that's been an argument for him for the last few years and yet you think about all the times that LeBron throughout his career has taken a team with severely less talent than this Nets team and just took it on his back and gone multiple rounds through the playoffs and sometimes even to the finals. And like, I mean, look at the 2016 fucking like, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up 2016 until I die. Like when we beat the Warriors in the 20, uh, 2016 finals, no one was expecting it. And look at the team that LeBron had. Look at the team that yeah. LeBron had. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. Like, Kevin Love was hurt most of uh, the playoffs anyways. And then Kyrie, I mean, granted Kyrie did his thing, but LeBron literally won it with the same the same crew. Like, we had fucking Richard Jefferson, dog. Like, Bro. you know. Well, hell, even bring up, I mean, a couple years later, Granted, it wasn't a winning season, but the 2018 playoffs and just how ridiculously absurd he was. And you talk about that team. They had no business being anywhere near the finals. And you're talking about an older J.R. Smith, freaking like uh, Hill, whose first name I can't remember. Who, And then you have like what Trinden, uh, or Tristan Thompson and then an older – uh oh my god i'm forgetting all these players names now but i mean you get my point is like he did yeah. not have nearly anybody Kyrie was gone to the celtics by that point um yep. you know, oh kevin love that's who i was trying to say but he's like older and he was not good in like 2018 19 like that mm-hmm. that was during his like really not good kevin love stage and like just how much uh lebron carried that team all the way to the finals and then you look at KD with Kyrie Irving uh, and with Blake Griffin and with Andre Drummond and, you know, Nick Claxton and all these talented players. And I'm not saying like they're like 
a super deep team because they're not. They they didn't have the depth that they needed, but that's a lot more talent than what LeBron had in a lot of the years in his career, and they made it a whole lot farther than getting swept in the first round. So, Le- LeBron's never been swept in the first round. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. It's never. Yeah. It's never. Happened. I think. Not I think that's a a good way to end that uh, recap of the Celtics and Nets series. And uh, with that, we can go ahead and move on to round two of the NBA playoffs, give our predictions there real quick. Um, So running through the West here, we have the Suns versus the Mavs. Uh, We're thinking Suns in seven on this one. What are you thinking, Enrique? Yeah, I think Suns in seven. I think it's going to be a hard-fought matchup. Um, Chris Paul literally instituted a a curfew for the team, not a coach, not a team. Uh, inst- uh, instituted it. Chris Paul himself said, "Everybody needs to get the fuck to bed because I'm winning a ring this year." So <laughs> I, I think it's going to be seven seven. Um, and I, I love this match. I love the Suns and the Mavs. It's going to be a good one, dude. I'm I'm hyped for it. I hope it goes seven. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, for me, I could even see this one sneaking to six if the Suns really come out and dominate. But I do think that the Suns are going to look like the better team in this series, um, even though it will be close, just because I think that they have the more complete team. They have more depth. Uh, they're going to have more to limit the uh, Mavs defensively. Um, and that's what I'm really interested to see is how they respond, the Mavs do after going from uh, facing the Jazz with one of the worst defenses in terms of just the matchup for them um, to the Suns, who do have some positive defenders that are going to limit Luka. Um, and then you have DeAndre Ayton eating up the paint. Uh, and then yep. you have Bridges on the outside. And you have Jay Crowder. like, And then you still have a bunch of depth there. Um, they have plenty of players there like the Suns are stacked man so this is going to be a real competition um I think Luca is Luca and so you never know with him being in the series um he can always make it interesting um but yeah I do view the Suns as the much better overall team uh and then with the Warriors or Warriors versus Memphis this one I, I I'm interested in and I'm interested to see how these teams play each other um I think it'll be Warriors in seven and I think a lot of people do think that the Warriors are just going to steamroll, but the Memphis is a much better matchup for the Warriors than the Nuggets were. So I think we're going to see the Warriors come back to earth a little bit because right now it looks like they're just this unbeatable, ridiculous team and they are deep. They have a lot of talent, like just, they have a lot of talent, like they're a really good competing team, um, but they're just not like, I don't think they're as ridiculous as they're being made out to be at the moment. Um, And I think Memphis with a lot more defense uh, and a lot more overall, just like depth in terms of um, like the positions of strength with the Warriors. So they have more guards, more guards that are adept at defending, and then they still have the size to compete, um, especially with a Warriors team that does play small ball. They're a vertical team. Memphis is. Um, so I think right. that that's really going to be somewhere that they can exploit the Warriors is vertically and especially in the paint. Um, you know, you're going to have Jaw coming in, trying to drive, uh, probably going to have to help on him on defense. You have Draymond in the middle, but that's going to draw a lot of attention. You can shoot it out to go three or you have uh, other guys 
that can come in and cut that Ja can uh, pass the ball to and go and dunk on the inside um, or alley-oop or a million different things. Like, I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup. I, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to win it, but I, I just think it's going to be a uh, much closer series than some people are thinking. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a closer series. I'm going to go Warriors in six, though. And the only reason I say that is because I, I, I agree with you that the Nuggets weren't a good matchup, and so the Warriors are super human. But I also want to say that there's times that the Timberwolves were, you know, outplaying the Grizz. And when you sure. have, you know, Cat shooting threes on you, I'm like – I, I, I forget. I think it was maybe the second or the third game. Cat literally went off like 38 points, and most of them were off of threes. So if Cat's shooting threes off of you that way, um, I just think, are we going to get the Memphis team that was the strong side in that uh, Minnesota series? Are we going to get that strong Memphis team? Um, or are we going to get the weak one? And then yeah. vice versa, are we going to get the strong Warriors? Or are we going to get some warriors that do, you know, get some more challenges. But I just think right now it's the Warriors are super hot. Obviously, we'll have to see what the results of game one are. Um, but yeah, I just think the Warriors are super hot. I think they might do it in six. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that comes back into uh what we were talking about, talking about that um Minnesota versus Memphis series was initially. I thought that the Grizzlies might kind of fold a little bit just because of the uh, lack of playoff experience and especially going up against the Warriors who have uh, an abundance of that. It may be a different dynamic. So to your point, especially if you're seeing a little bit of that shakiness and consistency uh, against a much weaker team in the Timberwolves, then it's very possible that uh, the Warriors can take advantage of that given their um, – you know, past experience being in this type of environment and uh, knowing how to beat teams that aren't used to it. So uh, I agree with you there. And then uh, so we can move on to the Eastern Conference, uh, Heat and Sixers. Uh, we have Sixers and Seven for this one. We covered a little bit earlier with the uh, uh, Joel's injury. He's going to miss some time. Really, this series depends on how much time. Um, and so I maybe should have, uh, made predictions for like with and without Joel, but, um, I mean, I think the Sixers still have a lot of talent. So if Harden can decide that he wants to play super hard, um, and take over, then I think the Sixers can stay afloat, especially if, uh, you have Tyrese Maxey having a good game, uh, get Danny Green, some threes, get to uh, Tobias Harris, some. Um, um, if he feels like it, um, but otherwise, you know, if Embiid is out three, four games, the heat are a deep team, um, and they're only getting better. Uh, they look really solid right now too. I would say like they, they were kind of like coming up to the playoffs. You were wondering because they looked a little shaky. They were losing some games and there was fighting like infighting and stuff, but they look pretty solid in terms of like, you know, being together as a team, the team confidence and everything. And they look like they're on a roll. They're ready to compete. And um, yeah, it really depends on Joel, but 
Uh, I think the Sixers can take it if he can come back soon enough, but otherwise the Heat are a uh, very strong force. Yeah, I, I ditto. Exactly. If Embiid's able to come back, Embiid misses two games, Carter and Maxi can, you know, maybe win out those games for him. Then Embiid comes back. I see it going to seven. If Embiid is going to miss uh, more than two or three games, then yeah, I'm gonna have to go. Uh, I'm gonna have to go Heat and you know five or six, depending on uh, depend. It just it, Joel Embiid is just the fucking like the key to this team right now, and yeah, it couldn't have yeah. like, and that's why I feel so bad for the 76ers because this couldn't have come at a worse time. Right. You know, going into right. round two, like fuck, dude, like we're not even gonna get an opportunity because I mean, I just. Bucks and Bucks and seventy sixers sound so nice, um, you know. Celtics and seventy sixers sound just all the all the end matchups sound so nice, and it's just so unfair that uh, Joel Embiid got hurt, and so the seventy sixers are like fighting without one of their big big weapons. You know what I mean? They're they're just trying to do a lot, and they don't they don't have a lot of. Uh, and they should theoretically because of James Harden, but James Harden just has not been that guy lately. And yeah, so it's all on the beat, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I hope he I hope he comes back soon. Me too. And yeah, welcome to being a Sixers fan. This right. is this is what the Sixers do. Uh, for to be honest with you, for a second there, I was almost thinking we were going to manage to get backwards swept by the. Uh, Toronto because it would just be such a Sixers thing to do like I would just be like yeah no that makes sense no that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but our last series here uh, and honestly possibly the most exciting one to be honest with you I think this is going to be a heck of a series Bucks versus Celtics I'm taking the Celtics in seven but I mean after seeing Giannis go off last year like I think this can go either way. You're missing Middleton. I don't know how much time he's missing or if we have an update on that. I haven't looked into that enough. Um, but I, I guess that depends on uh, when he's come back. But to be honest with you, the Bucks have not looked that much different without Chris Middleton, if I'm really honest. Uh, I do think that that's going to show up more, obviously, against the Celtics than it would against the Bulls um, because you're facing a much deeper, much more talented team. Um but either way, uh, I think Giannis is going to do everything he can to keep them in this series. Um, but the Celtics are just – they're on a roll right now. They have a very deep team. They have a very talented team. And they ha- all have perfect roles on the team. Like, this just feels like a perfect team. Like, now that it's come together and it's working on all cylinders and they all have their confidence together and they have – you know, they're, they're just rolling. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine the Celtics losing right now. Um, but I guess that's really the story of the series is, is Giannis going to be able to prove that wrong? Yeah. And, and I agree. And if there's anyone that's going to be able to prove it wrong, it's going to be Giannis. Yeah. Um, like that's the thing is like, I do agree. I think the Middleton thing is going to be a bit more exposed in this series. I think this is going to be a seven game series regardless um, but yeah, I think I think this truly is going to be like a battle of the wills because you have the whole Boston Celtics who are like just like you said they are theoretically like the perfect team right now, 
Um, and then you have like tr- truly a competitive Bucks team, slightly less competitive without Middleton, obviously. But then you have the overwhelming will of Giannis that like that's what I truly believe one of the chip last year was just the fact that uh, Giannis just willed that shit. Like he just willed that shit out of his whole team. He made everybody a believer. Um, it's, it's hard to, and then he, and not only that, but he backed it up with elite basketball play. So Bro, on, on a hyper extended knee too. Like it's, it's, it's hard to really, it's hard to bet against that man sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, uh, I got to give it to Boston as well because of uh, the run that Boston's on right now. Um, and I think Jason Tatum is, if I'm going to be honest with you, I think Boston's going to win the whole thing. But I don't know for sure. I just think that Jason Tatum is the fucking man right now. And, yeah, I mean, Giannis is the man. Jason Tatum is the man. We just got to see who's more of the man. But I think this is going to be, again, um, must this is must see TV. Like if I don't watch any of the other games, I gotta watch I gotta watch Bucks and Celtics for sure. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And yeah, I mean this is honestly one of the most fun playoffs uh that I can think of in the last few years. I mean you think about the bubble playoffs, but this is one of those years where it's just like so open. Um but at the same time there's a lot of talented teams. Like it's it's not for lack of ridiculously talented teams that it's open there's just so many ridiculously talented teams that it's open among those ridiculously talented teams like you know what i mean there's just like an overall better level of talent it feels like um so yeah i'm absolutely pumped for the rest of this uh playoffs i'm a little less pumped that the nuggets aren't in it but i think that you know that was kind of the expectation coming into the year uh, when Jamal was already out for the year, pretty much. And then MPJ ends up getting his surgery and we knew he was going to be out. Um, so, it, you know, a harsh reality. Sure. Um, but there's still plenty of great basketball left to be watched. And, uh, you know, our year is next year anyways. So, but uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's going to do it for the first part of this week's episode. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. And then for our UFC fans, we will see you guys on the other side.